Episode 81 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud, the home of Irish podcasts. It's me, COB. It's me, Terry Flower. And today we're joined by... John Kavanagh. <laughs> All right, John, you're hesitant about that. You say that. <laughs> sometimes it's Coach Kavanagh, sometimes it's John Kavanagh, but John Kavanagh. So what do you want us to call you, John? John. Yeah, not Coach, no. <laughs> no. Unless How's... you join my gym, then it's Coach. Yeah, well, you'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> How's things, John? Very good, thank you. Very yeah, good. busy lately. Always, but certainly since uh, the last couple of months, it seems the MMA world has really picked up again. You know, obviously we, everything was closed for a couple, for a year or so. Yeah. Um, and now it seems all the promotions are trying to catch up on what they missed. So it's almost every weekend I'm uh, negotiating with Orla that I'm away again for another few days. So apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, good to, it's obviously good as well. It's good. Yeah, to be yeah of good course. To be back working. Yeah. Good to be back. We were just chatting off, coming about... Uh, the weekend, the weekend's fights, yes, unbelievable yeah. looking yeah. over there. Like. Incredible show on Malta, Centurion FC. Shout out to my friend Gallo, he ran it, and uh, we had a good team there. Six fighters from SBG, five wins, and Danny had a a, a questionable split decision loss, we'll say, but it was she had a great fight anyway. Um, but the setting, um, what's called Saint Fort Elmo. You know, the last time people were fighting there, we were, I was joking, saying they were fighting to the death with swords. This, this real kind of uh, gladiator feel. Yeah. You're in this fort, you're looking over the ocean. I don't, I don't know how your man got permission to run a cage fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, you must have some good contacts. But it was, it yeah, was a spectacular uh, visual. Yeah, it looked out. It was unbelievable. And then obviously all the boys getting the wins. Kiefer was on the podcast yeah. before. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Kiefer obviously got the big win over there. Yeah, unbelievable. main event and... It was kind of a tricky one. We didn't know much about your man. Good kickboxer. Not too sure of his MMA credentials. And even just before the fight, the promoter comes in. I don't know if you saw it, but the guy was wearing very unusual attire. Yeah. It was like one leg full length and the other leg half length. Yeah, yeah that's what And the promoter comes in because that's not normal. No. It's not usual. He's like, Kiefer, is he allowed to wear these? <laughs> Kiefer, well, you know, whatever. But it, just odd things like that. And he was a bit of an odd personality not that there's too many normal people in <laughs> arts, but yeah. he was even for mma he was out there yeah let's put it that way um and an awkward style about him, an awkward way about him so Kiefer just approached it sensibly got the win and then the guy spent the rest of the night chasing Kiefer around the hotel for a rematch fuck off yeah, yeah and, and complaining i was i was actually i was winning you and Kiefer's like well you're underneath mount i hit you 22 times unanswered yeah. Yeah, I was just wearing you, or I don't know. The guy was a bit... Uh, he was better to a pulp, that fella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, that was his tactic. It was... I've seen rope-a-dope against the ring, yeah, but yeah. I've never seen rope-a-dope someone just lying under yeah. someone getting a... Especially getting a few elbows into the forehead, like... Yeah, the referee, uh, you know, of course, was right. He was... Like, not, was a good stoppage, like? That's... <laughs> there's yeah. no referee who wouldn't have stopped that. That's, yeah. that's, you know, they say intelligent defense and, like, blocking elbows with your face is not no. an <laughs> I don't think a great thing about what you see... So Kiva posted the finish and then he posted there. He was training during the week and he's on the bag and he's practicing the elbow and it's like the exact execution mm. of that is what got him to finish as well. So it was class. Yeah, yeah unreal. Yeah, I reckon I'd foul Kiva up myself now, but... Yeah, I'd put my money on Terence. What do you reckon, John? As in fold as washing for him? Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you ask him nicely, maybe you could do it. <laughs> yeah, so short for him, Kiva, and now you're going to be listening, mate. Me and you have a sign. John will short for out there, yeah? Right, John, we do a thing called Zingers. We might have been trying to explain to John what Zingers are. <laughs> oh, I've come late. He was a bit 
wordy. And a bit if you quickly call now, keep across before the strap. I haven't called anyone out in a while. I called Mick Conlon out, did I? That was the last one. <laughs> every, every quiet we ever had on the podcast used to call him out with a trainer. Oh, yeah. like, I want to knock off you. And I was like, someone's actually going to take you up on that. You want to yeah. be able? Yeah, Calvin was like, one day someone's going to jump up. You're and like a dog put the hand in the car, you know. <laughs> what happens if the car stops? Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, right. <laughs> so I was trying to explain the zingers to John. Here's one day. Won the one from last week, yeah? Now, this is a handy enough Very one for you, yeah? For, for a birthday, yeah? For your birthday, yeah? Right. We'd rather a gift or money? Uh, I'd say gift. Now, I'm talking back when you had no money. I'll still say gift. Would you, yeah? The <laughs> sentimental value. Yeah, I'd just be curious what someone's going to get me. Yeah, what about Chili John? Exchange it or re-gift it. Really, really, good well, show. a point. That is, the gift, yeah. that is a good one. Yeah, that always happens at Christmas. You ever get, yeah. like, your auntie... Oh, your cousin or something, you'll get a link set and you know it's for someone else. That's so many times. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> that so many times. And you don't know when you're like, I don't mind. I'll scrub myself with the links, yeah? Uh, 46% said gift and 64% said money, yeah? Is that dead right? Um, John, here's one for you, yeah? Would you rather not shower for a week or not brush your teeth for a week? I'd rather not shower. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I'd say so as well. A lot of people got very uh, offended by this and they were like, are you for real? You'd be so smelly standing beside you and all. I was like, I've never smelled someone sweaty who didn't smell worse than someone with bad breath. Like, yeah. bad breath is yeah. one of the worst odors you can smell. Honestly. Yeah. Going down, I was inside out. When I was going to do my first ever MMA fight, uh, a friend of mine said to me, you know what you should do? Don't, don't wash for like two months before. So when you're on top of your man, like you'd be really suffering. I said, is that how you want to win a fight? Yeah, yeah just tap out stinking, yeah. like, you know. So. <laughs> Come here, it's not the worst tactic I've ever heard. I tell you that much. Not far off the worst tactic. Yeah. Um, not show up for a week, 72%, and not plus your teeth, 28%. That's yeah? weird. So a lot of people would rather, like, say, yeah, I had a shower today, but I didn't brush my teeth. Mm. And I'm all right with that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This one was... So we were telling you, we had Coolio on, yeah? Okay. And his uh, DJ, DJ Wino, he's his DJ the last 30 years. That's, yeah, his, name. DJ. That's his name, yeah. <laughs> Big fella. I've been looking for that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the same reason. <laughs> yeah, the lads were all here with us and then they went over to the Forge straight after. <laughs> yeah. yeah, up singing gangsta. I did Paradise. see the video yeah. in the Forge, but I didn't know they'd been here. Yeah, they were in here, yeah. But play. DJ Wino, anyway, shout out to him. This was a bit of a mad one. Would you rather die broke or die rich? Um... Die rich. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was very straightforward. And I think he thought it was deeper than yeah. what it was, but then when he said it. Because he delivered it with conviction. Right. And then we were like, well, if you die rich, it goes down to your family. He was like, and see, that's the answer and all. And I was like, all right, we <laughs> know sound, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here from Compton and all. I mean, we're afraid to get smart with them and all. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. thought we were tough from the flats and they're like, yeah, we're from Bompton. And I was like, sound. Yeah. I'll keep me mouth or Compton? Bompton is what they say when you're in the bloods because they don't want to say Compton because it's the sea for Crips. I'll give you another quick one. The first time I went to LA to train in, in, in the late 90s, I, we went, we didn't know any better. We stayed in Compton. And on my first day there, where me, Dave Roach, Dave Jones were, were actually just walking down the road. I was like, you know, you could see there's a certain demographic. And a police car pulled up and it was a, a white cop and a black cop. And they come over to us and they said, we're, we're, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, we're staying here. But there was a very well-known jiu-jitsu club nearby. And <laughs> the cop goes, this is God on the street. He said, no offense to my, my black colleague here, but you need to go down that road until you see white people and stay there. 
didn't know why, but we followed his direction. And then years later, I hear like in rap songs, like talking about Compton. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember we used to stay there. Like, <laughs> Shining your own death wish there. You know. They're um, all, like super friendly to us. You probably thought we were lunatics, like yeah. some three pasty white Irish guys standing yeah. in the middle of Compton. <laughs> Um, die broke 34% Die of it 66% I don't think anybody Actually thought about it yeah. Just being like If you die of it It's a ghost Pass down Blah 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 Apparently there's a statistic That 25% of people Always answer these things Like just insanely So Yeah You can almost see there Take away 25 You're left with just 10 lunatics <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right So John Now we do a thing Where we have a thing on now For you So have you, did you Have you got anything In your head that you'd ask Or would you rather Or uh, like that No uh, For us there you go first, and then I'll, depending on the level, I don't know what we're yeah. <laughs> Right, well, do you know what? We actually have some decent ones. Yeah, so we were up in Mount Joy, yeah? We were up in the Joy. The governor of Mount Joy was on the podcast, and he invited us up to the old park room with the prisoners and sit down and have a chat with them after, and they all listened to the podcast. Yeah, so um, give a shout-out to all the boys in the progression unit. Uh, when we and Terrence were up there, we actually told them that you were coming on, John, so we gave them a little exclusive. So, boys, we were in the 90s. Mm. We told us John was coming on, and they said, can we ask you, would you be interested in going up and doing a few... Yeah, Talk about putting them on the blade and spot. What? <laughs> I, I honestly would love to. Yeah. So yeah. Eddie, so I know way of organising it. I'd love sort that out, Eddie. But um, yeah, shout out to the boys. They were unbelievable. Honestly. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to say because when we done the park run, see when we went up, we had Eddie on the podcast. He was like, "Oh, come on up. The lads would love you up there." And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll go up." And he's like, "You'll probably know a few." And I was like, oh, "I'm sure we will," but we knew a lot. Yeah, I think like, Eddie was a bit surprised. Yeah, he was yeah. sort of walking beside the shorter, going, "How the fuck do you know this cunt and whatever and whatever?" But yeah. like they're just lads from the area who got caught up down wherever, and now yeah. they're in there. But and it's crazy because like you're up there with people. Like the first fella I bumped into was someone I grew up with, like a childhood friend, and it was mad. I'm talking yeah. to him in there, yeah. and I know that lad too. I would have known growing up, and I would have known their brothers, and mm. they, they would be the older generation. And then there's people in there who's doing life. Yeah. who I wouldn't have seen since I was a child basically yeah. and then you're talking to the lads in the progression you know at least and just when you hear that mindset and they're like do you know what like we're not the same fellas that walk through them gates yeah. do you know what I mean we don't want to be criminals what done with that like my mindset has changed I understand now why I did the stuff I did and the, the way I acted the way I acted and they're going through counselling they're doing meditation they're mm. doing all these uh, therapies and exercises to really help express their feelings and understand their emotions and I couldn't believe it me and Terrence were really took back by it we're like oh my god like whatever program they have up there it is working because yeah. they've completely changed the mindset to these lads and then they showed us around so uh, the lad said to us on the slide we're like ah Eddie can you have a tour of the, of the wing and we're like Eddie can we have a tour and he was like yeah no problem but then the lads gave us the tour and they were showing us the cells mm-hmm. and like it was deadly like do you know what I mean it was real uh, it was real eye-opening. It was like a sobering experience, wasn't it, Terrence? So it's been yeah. like, this is madness. And I know Terrence shared a picture of us in the cell and people were commenting about like, that cell doesn't look too bad. Blah, yeah, blah, that blah. Though, but somebody texted me saying, that looks cushy. And it was, it was actually funny that they were like, it paid two and a half grand a month on that after that or whatever. And I was like, it doesn't give a bollocks. It could have marble floors, chandeliers. You can have this, that, and the other in it. You're still stuck in a blade. Yeah, like you can't go to out. the shop. We got yeah. to walk out. Yeah, I mean, like it's simple little things. Like imagine, you know when something gets took away from you, you go, ah, I wish I could fucking do that. They can't just go for a walk or a run or they can't yeah. fucking, they can't hug their kids or fucking, I remember they were over I had the friend that was there as well. And mm. there was like, Periods of seven, eight weeks where there was no visitors allowed. Mm. Um, 
Actually, no, that's, I'm, I'm way off. I'm, they were they were in isolation for that length of time. Yeah. It was much, much longer than that before any anybody was allowed to, to have visitors in and to be, like you said, in, in, in a room half the size it is for whatever it is, 17, 18 hours a day. Mm. Yeah. That's that's rough, man. It's dog Anybody rough. that can get through that and come out the other end a better person and take advantage of our programs or an offer, you know, huge respect to, to that mindset to be able to do that. 100%. Yeah. And it was actually, it was brilliant because they do the park run, so it's a 5K run, it's seven and a half laps around the prison. And like, we were like, yeah, we'll go up there, we'll have a bit of crack with them. But some of the boys were taking it very serious. So we're like, we'll do a 5K, light 5K. I think it took us like 24 minutes or something yeah. like that. And it was grand. Some of the boys were doing it in 18 minutes. And I was oh. thinking to myself, like, if you can run 5K in 18 minutes, how are you in prison? Like, who the fuck caught him? <laughs> like, there's no way there's a copper out there. I was thinking that. I was like, I don't know appropriate <laughs> But the boy's not going on it. He was shouting at him. He was like, who the fuck caught him up the front? He was gone. I'm nearly sure he lapped us as well at one stage. <laughs> yeah. Speed of him. But uh, what else happened then? They brought us from there over to the main prison. And the main prison then, it's much more bigger. You're dealing with a lot more inmates it's a completely different atmosphere and in there there's a lot of tension in the yeah. air and you can yeah. see it. it it's a lot more uh, segregated you know what I mean because people obviously find with other people and I've seen a lot more people in there that we knew as well and they were yeah. coming over and they were saying hello and then they showed us the cells in there and the cells in there are completely different as well so you can tell that like I think the people who were in the main prison they're not quite there men- mentally with the lads who were in the, the progression unit, unit. And they need to work on themselves. And I think yeah. they'll tell you that themselves as well. Now, uh, I think they're on the right track. I think if you want to change, you will change. But somebody pulled me when we were leaving the progression unit and they were saying, oh, thanks for coming up. And we we, we said like a few nice things to them. And it was like, it's nice to hear you talk nice to us. But just to let you know, we want to change, but it's actually very hard. There's three drug counsellors in Mount Joy and there's 700 prisoners. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like these lads. I was, but... I said to him, I was like, look, if you're willing to change, you're already on the right path. You know what I mean? Like, you can offer people all the help in the world, but if they're not willing to take it, what's the use? These lads have took that right step. And shout out to all the boys up in the joy anyway. It's like, it's no place you want to be. Like that whole saying of, it's a holiday camp, I'd I'd never say that again after being up there, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and I think sometimes you say it lightly, just being like, oh, do you have a blade, an Xbox or whatever? But like we said, you're still stuck in a fucking cell for yeah, however. You got to walk out that day. Yeah. You know I, mean? I, I, yeah. I wouldn't say there's anyone up there out of all 700 who didn't want to be in our shoes. Yeah. yeah you know I mean? We yeah. got the group there, we done the room, we had the buzz, but then we got to walk out. You walk out, yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. But, uh, we're working on something anyways with uh, ourselves and Eddie. Yeah. So Something we, in the works, yeah. We might be back up there and, yeah, we'll try and get John up there as well. We'll do a few uh, BJJ classes up there with John. Sign me up. Wrapping people up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so the whole point of that story there was the lads up there obviously listen to the podcast. They bring them in, they let them listen and the whole lot and it's brilliant there is. And they had, they had a lot of zingers for us. So we have a page, <laughs> a couple of pages full of them. <laughs> uh, we thought like some of these, oh, these are going to be mad. Like one or two of them are like... Ah, that mad. A couple of my deep, and I was like, fuck. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but it's interesting. So you, You're going to have to like, only use one or two now. Oh, that's right. I'm not going to use all. We're only going to use one, I am, yeah. But I, th- I was thinking about it. I was only having a quick read them before we started. Uh, have a deep one here from one of the boys, yeah? Shoot. This is a mad one, yeah? So, would you rather that all the people in the world convicted of murder be given the death penalty... Or that they're given a chance to rehabilitate and be put back into society. 
And I think that's a serious thing. It's very deep. Whoever come up with that in there, well done. What a singer. Um, have a think yeah, about that, so John. Do you can you can you find out what the murder was a, over? Like you know, a murder of passion. John, it's the, exactly what I said. Hitman, like you it's know, so, yeah. the, John, isn't it? It's oh, not yeah. that easy. I was thinking, like, like someone could be eighteen and kill someone in a street fight, and you know, exactly. You fast forward ten years, and they, they've um, obviously hugely regret what they've done, and then you've got someone that's maybe in their forties, hitman, killed twenty five people, like. It's exactly or what I said. That, you know, mm. Serial killer, like so. I, I suppose you'd have to go into the category. So, if you had to pick just one or the other, I'd say I'd like to see them get a chance of rehabilitation because maybe out of that group, five percent are just absolute psychopaths yeah. and can't be helped, and then the other ninety-five percent, maybe something terrible in their childhood, or maybe something just an absolute freak accident. You outside a nightclub, you hit somebody, hit the back of their head. You know, like you don't know what you don't know what can happen. So. Owen is in there, obviously he hasn't got a fucking mic to believe and back me up, but that's literally nearly word for word exactly what I said beforehand, because I asked Owen outside, I was like, look at these are some of the things the boys gave us, it's literally word for word, you'd have to break it down yeah. into how many of them are literally serial yeah. killers and psychopaths who need to be bleeding, like, well, I think pour away forever. That's the complexity of the singer, isn't it? Because yeah. if you're saying they have to be poured away forever, then everyone convicted of murder has to be put away forever. Yeah, yeah. but that's, that's the singer, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but, but I do think, uh, maybe I'm uh, naive, but I do think that people are generally good. So I'm going to think there's only a very small percent that are just like when I when I went in to visit uh, a friend of mine there, like he, he did point out someone that was had been convicted in his twenties. Now he's in his late sixties, so he's done forty years. Fucking and, hell! And there were heinous crimes, like he had brutally murdered and raped a bunch of young women, and that's to me is that's just like a you know a broken. Yeah, that can't be person. left back out. You know, yeah. and he's even in that forty years, he's never really spoken to anybody and just in it to himself. And you know, I kind of <coughs> liken it to like I'm a big dog person. That, like the dog just continuously chews up people. Like at some stage, you have to accept it. it's it's damaged, broke, yeah. it's broken. There's something really off. Yeah. Whereas I do genuinely believe that ninety percent of people that if they were to get a good start in life and have a you know a good family set or some good mentors around them. I'm obviously involved in combat sports. I think combat sports has done incredible things for, for, for let's say, disadvantaged, uh, disadvantaged people or disadvantaged areas to give an outlet to maybe a little bit of aggression, testosterone, competitiveness, channel into a good area. So I'd, I'd like to believe that it's worth the risk of trying rehabilitation because I think nine, nine out of ten will take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, we're going to have an issue with, with that five to ten percent. But you can't, at the expense of 90% of people, just extinguish people yeah. and not give them a chance. Yeah. It's a great singer, though. It is a great singer. It's a good one. Good one. Uh, I know I'm still on singers, John, but I want to ask you something there because you, you are touching on the benefits of combat sports for yes. people from disadvantaged areas and stuff yes. like that. And there's something that always comes up on Blade Twitter and social media, and it's that good morning, Britain, and they're always talking about uh, the cons, like the bad things about combat sports. Simon and boxing. Jordan and Talk Sport is always saying it. Boxing should be banned and fighting should be banned and it promotes violence and all this stuff. What's your take on that, John? Well, like, where's the regular headlines of, like, MMA guy destroys guy at the weekend? You just don't read about it. Mm-hmm. And the papers and the media would love to hear Ooh. those stories. And yet it's one of the most rare things. But like you said... There is a certain inclination, I think. I don't know what it is about our psychology that we're drawn towards something being negative. I don't know if you ever do this, but I'm sometimes guilty of it that I'll I'll flick through 20 good comments about <laughs> something I did and then I'll find one that's negative and 
that's gets my focus and attention. And I have to pull myself back and say, wait, you know, why are you doing that? Like you just had 20 people say something nice. Yeah. So I do think there is something about our, our, our mindset. And I remember I came across an article for something and it's like, uh, what was it? It was saying like, no news is bad news. And I was like, well, actually that's not true. <laughs> Pretty much all news is bad news. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that is promoted. Mm. And with combat sports, it's probably an easy target for certain people to go off. They look at the, you know, the top pinnacle of 1% of, of, of uh, professional fighting and they see a bloody picture of someone and that's what they love to, to look at. But, you know, I get to spend a lot of time with the likes of Phil Sutcliffe, who's run Crumlin Amateur Boxing Gym for forever. And the amount of stories he has of guys coming in six, seven, eight years of age, all the way into their late teens. And, you know, a very tiny percent will go on to be professional boxers, but through that network, they start going on to become... Like, I mean, Connor's story was getting a, pl a plumbing apprenticeship out of Crumlin Boxing Gym. And he lasts about a week. But <laughs> the, the point being, it's it's that kind of... Network. It's that kind of network and being around a certain... How, how do I put this? Like being around a certain level of mentorship that goes on in there. That in my own gym, you know, it's a busy gym. A very tiny percent will go on to make, you know, real money from fighting. But there's so many stories of... Like I said, you know, some guy, oh, that guy's an electrical company. Would you would you be interested in trying to try an apprenticeship at that? Or someone's going a little bit wayward and you pull them into the office and say, look, you know, Dublin Small, I heard about the weekend there. Like, you've got to pull yourself back. And you have these, uh, you know, like we spoke about earlier, meeting some of your friends growing up, you know, there but for the grace of God, go I. Like, how many, how many decisions did you make that you don't know that the sliding doors went that way and that way? And you just on that Friday and I said, you know what, I'm just going to stay in. But someone else went down and got in a digging match with someone or I made some silly decision about stepping in a car. And I just think combat sports is a great, um, a great uh, environment for, for people to be in that may not be interested in joining a rugby club or some, you know, don't have it to go joining a, a water polo club or horse racing or whereas almost anybody can go into a, a boxing club or MMA mm. club. And, um, yeah, so I, I I tend to try to focus on what's what's positive in something. What I look to an athlete or a singer or a writer or guys like yourselves and see what are they doing good, what are they doing inspiring, what can I take from that? Not try to look at someone and say, yeah, he does all that good. Yeah, but did you see that headline about him about doing this and that? Who who doesn't have yeah. something that they're not proud of? Mm -hmm. But there's, I find there's huge amounts to take in what uh, in combat sports and being inspired by people. And uh, that's what I've seen for decades in my own gym and from talking to gym owners all over the world. That I um, see so many positive stories, so it's, I won't be stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's just clickbait, to be honest with you, because do you know who Simon Jordan is on TalkSport? I don't. He used to be the chairman of Crystal Palace, but he's like a presenter on TalkSport now, and he always gives his take on football and blah, 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 but he gives his take about MMA being brutal, there's nothing glamorous about it, he doesn't understand how it's big, but... Bispin was on, he, but Bispin didn't attack him. He just like very articulately just gave him the points of like, this is the benefits of it, this, 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 and this. And then uh, Aspinall was on and he gave the same thing. Eddie Ham was on it as well about boxing. About, and they just, but mm. it's weird because they get attacked and they don't retaliate with it. Yeah. Like they don't go into self-defense mode. They just like stay kill and they stay calm and they be like, well, look, this, this, this. And it's particularly with MMA, they show like, well, there's less deaths in MMA than boxing, but boxing is held up on this pedestal compared to MMA. Yeah, and I always hate that argument, and I, and I was certainly guilty of it myself for a time. Like, boxing doesn't appear even in the top 20 or 50 most dangerous sports. You know, you 
first of all, you got to talk about all motor racing and stuff yeah. like that. But I still, I still don't like that comparison. I think a better comparison is comparing sport with not doing sport. What are the dangers of not doing sport? And I believe there's a stat that um, in, in the States, and maybe it's across the Western world, this generation will be the first one that dies younger <coughs> than their parents. Whereas from Stone Age times, life expectancy was, was getting bigger every generation, and now it's starting to go the other way. Why? Obesity. The, the literally the elephant in the room in some cases. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible to say that, isn't it? But, you know, we're, we, we, ha- there's, we, we can't talk about that. You can't just say that, you know, um, and, and I certainly I don't agree with fat shaming or anything like that, but obesity is a real, yeah. real issue yeah. for the Western world, you know, in particular, the, you know, the first world countries. Like obviously, America stands out. And Ireland is not far we're behind. up on actual obesity in the EU, I think, well, like the... They're highest. Uh, we're in the, are we the highest? I think we're so, definitely yeah. Definitely in the top amazing. three anyway. Yeah. yeah. And what is a better <laughs> cure for that than sport? Exactly. And, mm-hmm. like, because I remember, like, um, I'm a little bit older than you guys. <laughs> it, like, it, all, of, all I can t- remember of my childhood is running. That's all I can remember what I was doing. You're running away from someone or you're running after a ball or, you know, running around the sports hall. And I always find it shocking that I take a kid's class and sometimes guys will do a lap at the gym and be like, hands on their knees. Like, I don't remember being tired in my, yeah. <laughs> in my youth. Yeah, I just was never boy, tired. Yeah. And now we're, having, we're getting these groups of kids in where in the first couple of months training, you're just getting them up to a level of, you know, what I would describe as very, very basic fitness levels. So I think for, for a commentator to talk about comparing one sport with another or the dangers of sport, my reply to him would not be to say, you know, certain deaths in certain sports. Let's compare sport with no sport. And we're really seeing the problems with that. And then, of course, what did you do? It'd be obesity and, and diabetes and cholesterol and all these things. Is start the medication process. And now you're gone down, you know, and we could go down conspiracy theories yeah. here and all that. But my point being, I don't think there's a better cure for, obviously, physical uh, ailments. Keep, keep body fat down, just to a reasonable level, not, not talking crazy levels. And keep the head in a good, in a good place. Get out there. Work, you know, get your four 20 minutes, four 30 minute sessions a week, four or five, and uh, you know, take it a little bit easy on the alcohol, a little bit easy on the sugar, and then it's kind of up to yourself. Then after that, you're going to go further than that, but have that as a foundation. Mm. And if you find that through mountain climbing, dancing, mixed martial arts, boxing, yoga, whatever it is, get out and experiment, find the one that catches you, and you will do enough sports, and one will catch you. and uh, and then you've a lifelong system in place. Not just I want to lose X amount of kilos in the next six months. That's bullshit. You want something that you enjoy doing every day for the rest of your life. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm. That's the end of my speech. Great yeah. answer. <laughs> Good answer that one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we were still on singles there. Quick. Oh, sorry. Quick, the yeah, singles. Uh, have you, did you think of it in the meantime? Just, you know, my, my girlfriend does these. And they're so like extreme, like that. Like yeah. she just comes out with the weirdest shit. That your zingers have been so nice. Like, uh, like if I had three eyes, would you still be with me and all? Yeah, like oh. no, I wouldn't. You mad thing, I'll be gone. Those are just much worse than that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I tell you off camera. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's something wrong with her. Like. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have to disturb ask ones, right? Do you piss in the shower? That I have done. You have. That's all right. Well, yeah, you that's go. good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Usually we contradict people because they're always like, oh no, and be like, you do. Everybody pisses. Only, the show. only like two people deny the Roddy Doyle. Who I was think the other I think Roddy Doyle was the only one who said Roddy Doyle on. He was like, no, I don't piss in the show. And we're like, all right. Spell for. Good for Atlee's foot. So that's my uh, reason. Is it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Someone told us that, like, it hardens the skin on your feet. Yeah, because and I'm most of my life is barefoot in a gym surrounded yeah. by various forms of bacteria and whatnot. So Yeah, now we don't actually piss on our feet like we piss and aim for the drain. Oh yo the fountain, yo. Do the fountain, yeah. Aim at like that the like show. On the podium in Formula One. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton up there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the reason why we had a load of singles anyways, John, is because uh, this is the longest we've ne- actually spent between two podcasts since we started in November twenty twenty. It's been fifteen days. Like oh, I've had COVID twice. Oh. Uh, we've had not mis- not recently. Like, <laughs> in the no, last no, day, no. or <laughs> no, over the course, over the, course of the whole podcast uh, life. But even when I had COVID and other things have happened and gone wrong, we still never spent more than like probably a week and a half, maybe twelve days, ten days yeah. between two episodes. It was fifteen days, and and like we were saying, we were going off the head. We were like. Feels like we haven't done a podcast in forever. Yeah. So um And then we're coming back to fucking this one, John Kavner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like we, we what we done was we fucking recorded a few and held them and then spaced them out. But uh then there was a lot of stuff in the middle. We were at the Justice Media Awards, we were up in Mount Joy, we mm. uh, and we've other big news as well. Today we got a big email. Have you allowed to announce that? I think we can. The lads can cut it for now. All right. Yeah, go on. Yeah, we're gonna be at Electric Picnic as well this year, so come down. Uh, I think it's the first weekend of September. Give yeah. us a shout. We'll let you know more details when that comes out. Yeah. But because we've been flat out busy, Thank thanks you. very much, John. We've been flat out busy. Shout out to Dublin Food Company as well. Mm-hmm. So we had like a meal plan, meal prep with them lads. Brilliant. So uh, we have meals on the go. But it's not just low calorie meals. There's like ready meals, proper meals. Yeah, so lot. if you're into, into comfort eating, John's had to be like criticising obesity. We're <laughs> talking about comfort eating now. <laughs> no, balance. All balance. Yeah, I'm yeah, not talking about sitting around, you know, starving. Yeah, but I think we'll have to spend in about a half an hour now just going off on tangents and showing. Okay. So, yeah, I think we're better off jumping into yourself, John. You're the guest. So what we do with every guest, just take us right back to the start. Where are you from? What was life like growing up? And, oh, and then into your career. It was like, do you remember... Uh, Silla Black in Blind Day. What's your name? <laughs> John, I know you remember that one. You were older than us. I do indeed remember that one. Yeah. Uh, well, look, uh, born in Raffarnham. Um, Sorry to hear. Yeah. Nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing really standout-ish about my upbringing. N- nothing glamorous. Nothing too glamorous. Mm. Um, I have an older sister and then a much younger and Better looking, more famous brother. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he, but he didn't come along till I was like I was twelve or thirteen when he came along. So we didn't have much of a relationship. Whereas my sister Anne was just two years older than me, so we were very tight. Yeah, yeah. very close. Um, yeah, I guess nothing of real significance until I'm eighteen, and then I finished school. I took a year off before I didn't know what I wanted to do <clears> at eighteen. <throat> tried out for the guards, failed. Tried for the fire brigade, failed. And uh, I was working in a garden center and was doing a bit of uh, nixering at the weekends. I would put fencing and stuff like that. Mm. And then I had a bad incident where I got badly beat up in Rat Mines. And I sort of had an interest in martial arts, but nothing, nothing too serious. And after that one, I spent a couple, literally spent a couple of months in my bedroom. I was just depressed and didn't want to didn't want to leave my house. What, afraid to go out after afraid getting to go out, embarrassed, recluse kind of thing. It went made me very reclusive, very. Um, Nervous and uh, ashamed. Yeah, you know, very embarrassed. Getting beaten up in front of your girlfriend is not exactly you know life reaffirming stuff. And uh, start start researching and uh, try different forms of self defense, martial arts, blah blah blah. And then I came across UFC one. I was like, that's it. That's what I want to learn. Because then there was no weight classes, so there was this like, skinny Brazilian hoist 
who I'm with at the weekend, which is always shocking to me. He's over on uh, on Saturday. We're doing a thing in the square at uh, two o'clock. If anybody wants to come along, yeah, uh, promoting Bellator show. We'll be yeah. there as well. We'll pop oh, up. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, was watching Hoist. Was watching Hoist. He was this very understated small Brazilian guy, and he's beating up all. Well, not beating them up. But you could see he was using technique. There was not just aggression. It was strategic. It was, and I was, I was really attracted to that. I was like, man, I can do that. I can learn that. And uh, then my math enrolled me in college. It's signed me up for engineering. I didn't even really know what that was. And so I was 19. I started in Bolton Street Engineering, and I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mixed martial arts. Now, there was no club, so it was just me and a group of guys fighting every weekend, basically. Mm. And over that five-year period, it took me five years to get my degree. Over that five-year period, I got pretty decent and started traveling, doing some fights in the UK and traveling around Europe and going to the States, training in, uh, with the Machados in LA. So when I graduated, <clears throat> I uh, said to the folks, right, there's the degree there. You can show it off to the relatives. I'm going to start the gym. So I started my first place in the, about the size of this studio. So you went and done your degree in engineering? Yep. And then was just like, there you are. That was just to keep your man that happy. I wanted to drop out after the second year because I knew I was going to do this forever. I was just obsessive. Very, very quickly I became obsessed with it. And I was training just all day, every day. I'd do it before I went to college. In college, all I could do was think about it. And then as soon as college was over, I was doing it all evening. Yeah. And then... Um, but my parents were like, no, stay, stay, stay. Cause Especially back then, John. It's like, what are you going to do? You put yeah. your underpants on and fight someone in a cage. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. so people still question it in 2020. <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Imagine back then. Right in 2000. But um, they could see there was no change in my mind. And, mm. you know, it's it's in, it's, it's in it's in the book. My parents came along to my first gym and it was in uh, Fibsborough, a little garage at the back of the house. And, syringes out in the out in the lane there was no toilet no nothing my mother just started crying and my dad said you're just throwing away your, your life here I was like you'll see <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah so between then and now it's been uh, it was 2001 when I opened the first place I named the Straight Blast Gym Ireland in 2002 so August this year is the 20 year anniversary oh, class. and yeah. in that 21 year period I've moved 10 times I moved to the last one in September 2019, and then that closed in January 2020 for a year, you know, on and off over that two-year period. So, uh, yeah, 20, 21 years of uh, running a gym full-time, going from a 400-square-foot garage to a 16,000-square-foot monster. <laughs> Unbelievable! It's some journey, like you know. that was a much longer. Still, a black would have cut me off ages ago. <laughs> just something witty and move on, like you know. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's that's some journey though as well. And it's, it's mad that it took like that event to happen to you getting jumped on, and then you just found this thing where you were like, "This is my calling." Like, yeah, so and a blessing in the school. I always say that to guys, you know, because I've had a, plenty of teenagers come into me who've been bullied or been through a bad incident or breaking up with a girl or getting fired from a job. You know, they're at, a, they're at a low point in their life. And I say, you don't know. Like, I look back now at that hiding I got and go, that's the best thing that ever happened in my life. Yeah. Because I would have, what would I have done? I would have just fallen into a, a, a degree, a, you know, a career in engineering. I'm sure that would have been fine, but look at the life I've had. I've had yeah. incredible things happen. You know, I feel I've lived three lives already and I'm only 
45. Yeah, and mm. you're um, talking bollocks now. Like, and and I've, I've reached this pinnacle. Like, who, who would have... I've never got an invite on here as a mechanical engineer. You'd be boring the, head, boring the heads off you. But um, So I just try to say that to people that are going through something rough, uh, you know, at this point in your life. You don't know what path it's going to nudge you onto. And that terrible incident, I nearly lost my life, you know. It was, it was in a bad way. It nudged me onto a certain, a certain path. So, you know, you're at, you're at a down point. Something's gone wrong in your life. All I can say is you just got to keep moving. You just got to keep stepping forward. Just got to keep moving forward. Keep trying new things. Keep 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 the head up. And uh, who knows where that's going to leave you. And I try to think long-term about things. Don't think just today is miserable, this week is miserable. Think five years' time, where are you going to look back at? And um, it's that attitude is what got me through that. And it's I've seen it work well for others. Mm. So when you opened this gym, John, had you always had aspirations of being a coach? Or were you thinking, do you know, I'm going to open the gym and I'll do a bit of fighting as well and eventually I'm going to become that guy in the Yeah, coach. I suppose, I mean, when I opened my first place, I was the general manager, I was the cleaner, mm. I was the head coach, I was the head sparring partner, I was an athlete, I was fighting. Um, so I didn't know really, I certainly didn't think there was any money in it. Like, yeah. You know, and thoughts of, even the UFC, you might have been in the UFC fighting for a grand or two grand. So, you know, fight three times a year, five grand, like it's, there, there, was, there was certainly no money in it. Um, but I knew I had to do it. I, I couldn't do I couldn't do anything else but do it. And it was, you know, me and, and, and 20 odd lads and we would I would just train all day and then I was doing the door five nights a week. So I'd I always remember I had this monster of a Liverpool fella as a private student and I'd meet him every like morning, nine AM, and he just would try to kick the shit out of me for an hour. <laughs> Lovely guy, but it was just he was so much bigger than me, it was so hard to deal with him. That was my start of my day at nine o'clock. Then I'd, I'd have a various classes during the day. I got home at nine, eat something, put on the gear, go down to the Turk's Head. I was, at, I was on the door down from half nine, ten, until three in the morning, get home at four. Alarm goes off at eight, come up and meet the Liverpool guy at nine. And I did that for... Fuck. That, that was it hell. for the first couple of years, you know. Proper graft. That is Commitment to the game, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was, that was just how it was, you know. Yeah, yeah. You tried, but you, you had a few MMA fights. Yeah, so if you think about it, I was doing that and I was training for fights. So I was... I was uh, I'd... Um, actually, a lot of the times when I was, when I was getting ready for a fight, I got up at six... And I'd go running in Trinity uh, yeah. cricket ground, believe yeah. it or not. I had a contact that could get me in there. Because <laughs> it was a good flat greener. I lived in Smithfield, so it was kind of a decent uh, decent grounds for running on. So I'd run in there and then and then go up and go open the gym. But um, yeah, so I fought a couple of times, and, and mostly in the UK. Did a, did one in South Africa, did, did some in Ireland. Um, probably the biggest fight I ever had was a guy called Lee Ramidos and we've been lifelong frenemies. Yeah. Uh, it was actually funny because he, he's an engineer. Uh, he did, we both started engineering together. <laughs> he kind of pipped me on the, on, on, the, on the degree, got a little bit higher than me and then uh, we fought and it was, a gr- it was a good fight. We were probably like the one and two guys in the UK slash Europe at the time were at a good level. He won a, he won a decision against me. He went on, he had a fight in the UFC and uh, he's had a, uh, he has a, a good gym now and he's a good engineering degree. So shout out, <laughs> shout out to Lee Ramirez there in case, in case he comes across this. We, do, we, we still get on well because it, when we were there, when we were in our mid-20s, like we were, we were proper like, you know, that, that hate, like that, but proper competitive. Yeah. So I'd had a fight two weeks before that one. It was a, it was a good fight in, uh, in Pl- uh, Plymouth in England. 
<coughs> one of the first uh, cage fights. Did that, you say uh, two weeks before that? Yeah, I know, a bit unusual. I, yeah. fought, I fought a couple of weeks before that. And he came along to it with his girlfriend. And <laughs> I knew he was coming. So I fought a fella and I got a t-shirt made with Lee's Next on it. It was a bit of a cocky shit. But yeah. <laughs> so I, I beat this guy pretty quick and then I had Lee's Next on it and I turned to him and his girlfriend and pointed at it. And she come at me. She's like She was trying to swing at me as I was walking out of the cage. <laughs> falling, like, you know, off, yeah. He's just kind of laughing. And um, yeah, so then we fought two weeks later and he, he, he beat me on that. But there you go. It's a mad old... Like, see... You were saying there was no money even in the UFC back then. So what... When I fought Lee, there's a, that was a big fight at the time. with a lot of noise online about a couple of thousand fans. And I always remember, like, not only did I not get paid for it, but the promoter was selling uh, mouthpieces at it. And I forgot mine. So I'm two or three fights out from my fight, main event, shorts on, sweating, <coughs> ready to go. And I was like, fuck, I'm out of here. Get me a mouthpiece. Don't worry about it. Come on. Brings me over to the little shop that was at it. Is it uh, two pounds. So you had to actually pay for your own Two pounds. Shield. I was like, me. Where do you think my wallet is? I'm wearing a pair of Speedos here. I'm about, <laughs> to, I'm about to have a scrap of someone. Oh, don't worry, I'll get it off you after. So, like, yes, no money involved. No money involved. So what made you stick out of then? Like, just you a love of it, like, yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, I mean, even, like, sort of hand in the degree back and going, I'm going to stick at this and I'm going to make a life out of this. Like, yeah. how could you even see the bigger picture if there was like, well, no yeah, bigger picture? Where was the money going to come from? Yeah. I, I, I honestly didn't know because there was no, like, full-time martial arts clubs in Ireland at the time. So there was no one who kind of looked to say, oh, I guess I would make a career teaching martial arts. Yeah. Because everybody was, you know, doing karate twice a week in a sports hall. Yeah. Like, there's no full-time facilities. Um, and I always remember, like, I came back from the States. I was like, oh, you know, dude, look, it works over there. And I was like, yeah. It only works in California because it's warm. And that's what people want to do there. And I was like, oh, she might have a point. Mm. But again, I have to say, I didn't do it because I was trying to make a living out of it. I did it because I had to do it. I had to do it. And I didn't know if I was going to be in my 30s and kind of scratching my head going, right, what will I do? And I was always kind of, I was always kind of smart. I was always, I, I always had the ability to make money. Like I, when I worked in it, in a, uh, I, w- I was working in a garden center when I was 18. And I started a landscape, landscaping company. Mm. And so I would, during the week, you'd be selling bits and bobs. And then, get, you know, you'd get talking to someone and say, yeah, I'm looking to get a fence put up in my garden. And say, oh, I can do that for you. So I'd do that at the weekends. Mm. So I wasn't too worried about money. I felt I could get money. I could do security. I could work in a bar. You know, that wasn't my real concern. I just wanted to do something that was, uh, that I had to do. And I had to do mixed martial arts. Yeah, I just think, I just think it's, it's great that you could even still see a bigger picture in martial arts back then because like, especially in Ireland, like there was nothing. Mm, yeah. Like no one knew what martial arts. No. Like I remember even years ago, Corta, Ryan Cortis, he he was like he was from Summer Hill down that way. And like I remember he was doing the MMA and I remember up in the flats and we were like, he's doing that blade and cratty shit, that blade. <laughs> we didn't we didn't even know what was called <clears throat> MMA. We like we used to say, Oh, he's doing that UFC stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? That's yeah, like that's how rare it was back then, you know what I mean? What would you much prefer prefer coaching than fighting? Uh yeah, it's it's certainly in my nature to teach. I yeah. love teaching. I get such a reward, a reward yeah. from like you got 20 people in front of you and they're trying to solve a physical problem. And, you know, if, if I had you two guys in a position and you're just stuck and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'd say, come on, come on, try and you really put your effort in and there's nothing. You are stuck. And then I show you step one, step two, step three, and you get out. You're just looking at me going, what the fuck? That, that, was, that was magic. Yeah. Yeah. And you get just get those moments of people just going. Yeah. And then that's great. That's a physical problem. 
And then how often, thousands of times, guys train for a couple of months, come into my office and say, oh, this is to save my life. Oh, I feel I'm down a little bit of weight now. My confidence has grown. I met a group of people that I just didn't think I was... You know, it tends to, MMA tends to attract a certain... Like, they tend to be a bit like misfits. You know, they yeah. didn't quite fit in in other areas. I know that was me in school. I was kind of nerdy and I, just, I wasn't going to be on the rugby team or the football team or just I was sort of on my own and now I'm surrounded by a bunch of them mm. like, this is a community that I didn't really know existed and maybe they come into this because like I said they were looking for something to change their life around something to try new and like I say now after 20 odd years of, of learning self-defense and martial arts because of the incident I've never had to use it again yeah. so was that a waste of time of course not because what did it give me it gave me confidence it gave me my self-worth back. It gave me my self-value back. And of course, that ability, that confidence, I've been able to apply to other things in my life. The courage to try and open a gym. Let's see, can this work? You know, the courage to even, even like this, I don't feel, I'm not very comfortable talking to people. I'm, I'm a bit introverted. But I push myself to do things like this because, you know, it's good. It helps push out your gym membership and yada, yada. So I wouldn't have had that confidence and the courage to try things like that if not for mixed martial arts. Yeah. Mm. And to be able to give that on to more people is, is amazingly rewarding. Do you not think, John, he said in the last 20 years, I think it would be in the last, say, 10 years, mixed martial arts blown up over here. And you probably would have seen a massive influx. I say you would have seen more people in the last 10 years than you had in the last Absolutely. Where 11 before put together. Um, how did you deal, especially in Dublin and in Ireland as well, you would have to have an influx of people coming in with like chips on their shoulder and personas, like the hard man kind of yeah. thing, points to prove. How would you deal with that? You know, that's uh, <coughs> I, I 100% see where you're coming from, but it's a very, very rare occurrence. And I guess if you think about it, like, there's, I don't, like, but we'll talk pretty raw here, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like, some fella that's just a bully and a street fight, you know, that's all he's interested in. Like, you just get a brick up behind someone and hit them in the head. Like, that, there's no technique or skill involved. The people that want to come in and go one-on-one with another guy, similar weight, similar age, similar ability, there's a massive amount of courage involved in that, bravery involved in that. And those people just don't tend to be the type of just a hard man that just, you know, smacks people when they're not looking or something like that. So it thankfully is an, an amazingly rare incidence, but the sport itself tends to weed them out pretty fast. Because you get a guy coming in, now I have a be, you know, very beginner-friendly program, and you would encourage them to do that. On the very rare occasion, someone's like, no, that's not for me, I'm just, I'm going to be in with the best guys right away. And you go, okay. Hmm. They try a class, and there's some girl, you know, 10 kilos lighter than them, strangling them in a minute. They just quit, because that's so hard on the ego. Well, I guess it has one of two effects. They just quit because the ego, or they go, what the hell, I wasn't expecting that. Mm. And then they actually do calm down and that chip gets rid. And then, you know what? You can become friends with him. You learn in six months' time that guy had a terrible childhood where yeah. certain things happened to him or he's just carrying that blackness over him. And he came in and he was able to get over that. And he starts seeing the smile come out and, you know, a bit more of a friendly nature. And, and they can let go of the past, let go of that past trauma. I just think past trauma, I. You know, we're going back to those stats we talked about earlier. I think it accounts for about 95% of people's issues that they have in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. 100%. You know? Um, yeah, I won't say any names, but there's been so many people that have come to me in their 50s and 60s and they're finally letting go of something that happened in their early teens. Yeah. And it's like, God, but God help you. You carried that for 40 years. Whereas if you'd have had a good counselor or a good therapist or I'd, I'd found a sport or an activity or some outlet for that. Yeah. 
it's almost like a wasted life, like you know. So you just would. It's it's almost much more rewarding when you get a tough kid coming in, eighteen, nineteen. He's at war with the world, and then you get him over that, and then you see the You know, he's he's not afraid to expose his vulnerability a little bit more, and then you okay the physical side of fighting that's easy to teach, but like okay now what can we do with your life that's going to be a bit more positive? How can we use this new maybe good energy you have in in yourself? How can we apply that to something else about getting a job or, you know, starting a healthy relationship or whatever the case may be? Oh, it's much more than just martial arts and there's a lot more to it. It's a lot more, a lot more than the physical stuff you're teaching them. It's a lot more mental stuff as well. You know, it, it's going to be the tiny percentage of people that come through my doors that, that end up being a Kiefer Crosby, obviously, you know, Conor McGregor and these guys that it's, it's been a great career for them. For me, the, the continuous reward is the thousands of people, I guess, over the last 20 years I've dealt with that come true, a little bit physically stronger, a little bit healthier, a little bit fitter, but mentally, yeah, new human person, beings. Yeah. New human beings. And I, I forget who, it might have been Cahill Pendred who said, uh, finding inner peace through exterior, outer fighting or something. Or mm. There was another famous coach who said, uh, higher consciousness through harder contact. That, he, that was how he got himself to a different plane of thinking. Now, I'm all about safety and training. I want it to be done in a good way. But you do want to challenge yourself. You do want to stretch yourself. I use an example of uh, weightlifting that if people want to get stronger, you have to lift a weight that's heavy enough that it's uncomfortable because otherwise you get no adaptation. You don't get any gains if you haven't pushed yourself to a slightly uncomfortable state physically. That's, of course, the same mentally. How are you going to get any growth mentally if you don't put yourself in situations where it's a little bit uncomfortable? Not so uncomfortable that it causes any damage. You don't want to step underneath 200 kilos on your first time squatting. Mm. But it's got to be enough, whether that's subjecting yourself to a public speaking thing or subjecting yourself of going up and trying to you know, chat to a girl or, mm. or, or, or start a new sport, walk into the football club for that first time and 20 people look at you and you, you know, you're nervous about that. Subject yourselves almost daily to a slightly uncomfortable condition and it gets a little bit easier and a little bit better every mm. time. Like maybe when you guys started right away and someone said, oh, soon enough you'll be on stage in the Vicar Street talking to a thousand people. You just, what? Mm. Of course not. I'm just giving this a go. But 80 odd uh, sessions later, now if someone said to you, there's actually three arena interest, you'd be like, yeah, let's go. I, I, I could try that. <laughs> you know, I was with the two Johnnies uh, well, I guess it was a long time ago, but I've seen that they did the tree arena. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing, yeah, like, you know? And uh, who, who the hell knows where your story will end? But mm -hmm. it was done progressively. You sub kept subjecting yourself to it, kept taking little chances, little mistakes, rewatching. Nah, I should have done that this way, that way. And, uh, you know, I'll finish by saying the price of excellence is embarrassment. You've got to be able to, willing to do some cringy stuff and make some mistakes yeah. if you want to be called eventually talented yeah mm. if you never try you'll never know that kind of thing so that's I always say the talents about your mindset John so like to me what you're doing uh, what you t teach people to do in the cage is brilliant that's obviously we can watch that every weekend almost and we can see they're reaping the benefits of that and their performances are akin to yours uh, akin to your teaching sorry but it's the stuff that you say in the interviews after it, in the press conferences. There's and all one that you always touch on. And it's the winner we learn thing. And I say, yeah. I say, I work in IT and I say in IT all the time, we're going to try this new process and people are like, oh, but what if this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, right, well, we'll win or we'll learn. And you were talking about that you went to the States and your man said, it won't, it'll only work in California, stuff like that. <laughs> what have you done? Have you went on kind of like, you went around the world trying to 
like learn all this stuff? Is there anyone that's kind of been a mentor to you? Because you yeah, seem to be a mentor to a lot of people with this kind of mindset that you have. Yeah, many people, many people. I could, I could talk about it all day, but um, it's it's a gradual process. You know, again, uh, looking at your success, it, you started, you're almost 18 months or so, you know, it's a gradual process. And that's something to get across to people that it's it's difficult, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. It's it's very daunting thinking that if I want to get a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm probably going to train two to four times a week for 10 years. That's just unavoidable. No one walks in on day one and is exceptional. It just doesn't happen. Yes, someone might come in that has 10 years high level, like, you know, gig football or something, and they're going to pick it up quicker. Maybe they're going to get there in six years, but on average, 10 years. And I say to people, what you've got to think of is, look, 10 years is going to pass anyway. Mm. Like if you think where you were five years ago, like it's not, it, it's not that long a time. Not. Why not be close to a black belt in, in 10 years? If, if martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is your go-to, if that's what you enjoy. So don't, don't, be, don't be put off by the fact that if you want to get really good at doing this, you want to get really good at photography, you want to get really good at dancing, singing, whatever it is, accept that it's going to be cert- take a certain length of time. Five to 10 years seems to be about average for any kind of complicated activity. Accept that that's how long it's going to be. Accept that there's going to be setbacks, failures, embarrassments. Take those on board and then start the process of gradually subjecting yourself to the stress of learning something new. And the, the final result is inevitable. If you're in a decent, I'll talk about jiu-jitsu, I'm familiar with that. You're in a decent jiu-jitsu club that has a decent record and there's a good atmosphere, a good, a good in, in, uh, energy within the gym. People are smiling coach is approachable the result is inevitable you're going to be a black belt that's that's unavoidable but you are going to have to put in that length of time and effort and and, and that level of commitment and uh, i think if you go in knowing that it's easier to achieve it than going in with uh unrealistic um uh, goals unrealistic aspirations if you want to say so that's that that's been my mindset i find mixed martial arts technically uh an easy-ish sport. I don't think there's, uh, especially at the high levels, it's only certain movements and sequences that work. And that's the ones that I spend 80% of my time coaching. What happens in 80% of fights? The real challenge with fighting is what happens in your head. And being ready for that, like, you, you know, if we talk specifically about, you know, say Kiefer just recently had a good win at the weekend. Fight itself was quite straightforward, but Kiefer had to fly to a country, mm. get himself in shape, you know, make weight, walk into the weigh-ins and see this man he's never seen before that's intent on doing him damage, face him off, and then try and sleep that night knowing he's going to step in front of a thousand people and, and whoever else is watching online. All of that is, 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 is the real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, the physical parts of the fight were quite straightforward. So that's it's what uh, is very interesting. I think too many people out there forget that. They sort of look, see if a fight ends early to a quick knockout. They go, all that for that. <laughs> and yeah, like you haven't seen the last eight to 12 weeks of what yeah. they're after going then through in the, the last, gym. I mean, Kiefer's pretty much training his whole life. Yeah. I'm guessing at this stage he's with me about 10 years maybe. Um, that's what went into a one-minute fight. Yeah. 
know? Yeah, but especially the camps, though. Because like, I'd imagine they're a lot more intense and you're picking up injuries and there's all this going on. To get to that woman and flesh knockout or whatever and people just go, oh, all that for that. <laughs> like, if you looked into it a little bit deeper, you, yeah. you'd see a but bit more. You've asked me to set up straighteners with some of my top fighters. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll have a straightener off, Keith. We'll talk, we'll talk. I could actually set you a challenge. Oh, which might be interesting. Me nerves. Which Go might on. actually be interesting. Hit me with it. So we have a program called Alta, right? And it runs for 20 weeks. And it's 100 lessons long. You train Monday to Friday, early in the morning, so you have no excuse for work around like that. You get it done before work starts. And at the end of the 20 weeks, you have the option of your first amateur MMA fight. And we have a finale happening on August 6th. I've done eight seasons of it so far. We get 40, 50, sometimes 80, 90 regular people we've had a grandmother do it we've had a couple of granddads do it a lot of moms a lot of dads and um if you're interested in it it starts july 25th the finale will be the first week in december and i would love to sponsor your spot on it and we could uh, maybe chat during and i could give you some private lessons in the lead up and then at the end if you're comfortable you could have your first amateur <laughs> mma contest and uh, it might be an interesting um yeah, this See, might be an you need to be careful what you wish for. Okay, but, no, I, I, no, I'd actually, I'd love to do that, John. Yeah, I would. I'd love to do that. Like, I have no background in MMA or anything like that. All the people who do this have—I won't say all, but practically all—have come in. They're thirty-five. They've been sitting in an office for the last ten years, and they just want to try something new. So we take you from—it's—we really assume on day one that everybody knows nothing. So kind of the first part of the training camp is just getting people moving again. Because I might ask you to like bear crawl over there and back and you'd be like, oh, that feels weird. Mm. So the first part of the camp is just getting you moving again, getting you mobile, moving like an MMA fighter. And then the middle part is the kind of technical side. So learn some of the striking aspects, the grappling. And then the final part is where we up the intensity a little bit and get you used to the feeling of, of fighting. And then I'll do regular visits with you and talk about the mindset of training, how to deal with anxiety. People do the contest on the night, half win, half lose. But what I try to get across is, is that what this is teaching you how to do is, first of all, how to apply yourself to something. It's, it's five months long. It's certainly not easy. You're up at 5 a.m. For, for five months of your life. And then how to deal with the anxiety of knowing some kind of test is coming up. And um, you're about to do that plenty of times, I'm sure. Walking out to Vicar Street, you must have had some of those mm. fight nerves, you know, fight or well, fight syndrome. Le- legit, John. Do you know what happened? We were coming out of the dressing room and one of the producers was with us and he shouts out to someone's like, we're making the walk. And I was like, this is legit. Yeah. Coming out for a fight. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. making the walk. Are you joking yeah. me? Like, what yeah. the fuck Brilliant. is this? Sweet Caroline and all is playing. Like, do you know Brilliant. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. What an experience. Oh, what an experience. Now, think of that. But you've just had your hands wrapped and you walk out to hotels with people screaming. Mm. And it's, uh, and that's what, again, I love the train alter program because again, so many times, yes, on the fight, Sorry. you know, maybe there's 20 fights. That's 40 people. So, you have uh, 20 people that win, 20 people that lose. But on the Monday, all the messages we get from people that, whether they won or lost, it was like, what an incredible experience. And now, you know what? Walking into the bus and asking for a raise or approaching that girl and asking her out or a girl getting out of a, a negative relationship, whatever the case may be, they say, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy. I, I stood in the cage. It took and, off a challenge like that. So now, any other challenge is same minor because you're like, I'm never going to be as scared as I was making that walk. So, yeah, I get you. But I will take you up on that, John. Yeah, I will do that. But what, how many people can you take on? So how many people can you train? I think our biggest season up? was close to 100 people. Fucking hell. So, uh, but we, we, we tend to cap it now at about 40 or 50. 
Yeah, you have a yeah. friend who wants to. Uh, well, well, just put it out out there for anybody else who does want to do it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to yeah. get the well, numbers up uh, on that. Trainalta.com, uh, the website, or uh, you'll see it on my Instagram. And like I said, we have we have a couple of seasons starting. So there's one in my gym, HQ and Inchicore. We've got SPG and Nace. Um, I think there's one in Drogheda, Own Roddy and Charlestown. So we have a few starting around Ireland at the same time. So wherever you are, uh, mm. um, you can check it out if you're at all interested. July 25th. So what have we now? Three weeks away. So yeah, starting, it's starting soon today. enough. And I can't overemphasize. I can't emphasize enough that this is for the matter what shape you're in. In fact, I get the biggest buzz the more out of shape someone is in because you see such a dramatic change over the course of 20 weeks. And people at the start, so many people pull me aside and say, look, I'll do it. I'm interested. In it. I'm just not interested in competing at the end. I say, that's fine. That's fine because that's, that feels like such a jump. And as I start talking to them over the course of 20 weeks, first of all, pulling them out in front of a crowd and saying, now demonstrate the technique I just did there on your friend. That seems daunting. You've got 40 people staring at you and you're trying to do a move and you're a bit awkward mm. and you can't really do it. Two weeks time, do it again. And it's, it's a bit easier. That's not too bad. Fast forward 18, 19 weeks, they're pulling me aside and saying, oh, I'll have a go. I'll, yeah. have a go. I'll give it a shot, you know? The confidence just starts. The confidence. Really. And look, you're, you're matched up with somebody that you're, you've been training alongside to some level. With about six weeks to go, we separate you. So like if you two guys are matched up, you'd be team blue, you're team red. So half the team goes to that side, half the team goes to that side for the last six weeks. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty amazing experience. And if at the end you're like, you know what, I did the 20 weeks, I'm just not interested in the, in the fight at the end, that, that's fine as well. Or some guys do a grappling match or some guys do like no headshots. You know, they have an office job on Monday to go to the Shiner. Um, so there's different levels of competition at the end of it, but the real growth happens over that 20-week period. You're getting up early, there's a discipline with that, you're getting in shape, you're walking into an environment that's a bit scary at the start, uncomfortable, you're learning techniques on the ground, you're learning striking, you're learning about yourself, and there's a strength and conditioning element. So it's, it's a pretty immersive uh, program, and it's, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of right now in, in mixed martial arts because you take a bunch of killers like, you know, Again, say the names Connor and Kiefer. And so you take those guys that are very tough physically and mentally, and you make them a little bit tougher, and you add some technique. But for the train alter program, you're getting in, you know, citizens, uh, civilians, we'll say, regular people, and you're getting them from a position where they were nervous about walking into a gym to 100 lessons later to walk into an arena with 1,000 people and, and they're having a contest. That, that, that's, that's an impressive change in, in, Big time, in, yeah. in, in, in mentality. And uh, like physicality wise, we, I remember one, one season where over the course of 20 weeks, the group lost a quarter of a ton. Fucking. You got to think about that for a minute. Yeah. 250 kilos they lost as a group. Fuck. So in it was, hell. Uh, pretty dramatic physical changes. And then obviously the mental change, you don't see it, but you see it because you see how they are walking in week one and walking out week 20. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's around the world now. We're in 150 gyms. Um, big time going into the States this year and it's pretty amazing that some of the other gyms that we might be competitive with in the UFC or <clears throat> like Sanford MMA is, is, a, is a very well-known MMA gym. Actually, Ian Gary trains there now, great Irish uh, fighter in the UFC and Gunnar Nelson, he fought at Sanford MMA. So we're competitive that way but we're both running all the programs mm-hmm. because we see the benefits. The, all the coaches that get involved is going, you know what, this is actually why I get into MMA was to kind of take ordinary, regular people and give them the, ve- the benefits, physical and mental, of, of fighting martial, mixed martial arts. 
And then the professional side came along and I started getting these uber, you know, incredible athletes and you show them a few moves and they start, and they start fighting professionally. But come, this brings you right back to like, what it was that inspired me. That's what inspired me. And I was lucky that I found people to teach me when I was in my early 20s and I, I was a bag of nerves and, you know, I, I wasn't able to do anything. So to be able to pass that on to potentially hundreds or thousands of gyms worldwide and we've had 10,000 people do the program already. It's brilliant. So it's... Um, Cool. It's almost like the ultimate fighter, but with complete amateurs. There you go. Mm. They actually did make a series of it in Australia. They ran uh, because it seemed to me like it was an obvious one for TV. Like you're getting yeah with regular like people Hope and uh, all yeah. the drama that comes with that, and then yeah. you know obviously there's a, a physical side to it at the end of it. So it's it's pretty interesting. But I'd say you guys will get some pretty cool content out of it. Yeah. <laughs> the only yeah. problem is I wouldn't be able to not fight at the end because everybody be like, when is he fighting at the end of this? So even if I wanted to bottle it, I'm kind of fucked, am I? What if you have said from the start, like, I don't want to do it, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what anyone else says, Tony. I know, I wouldn't mind having a shine at the end, how well. Yeah, but like, if you didn't want it, you didn't have it. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And look, you know, I mean, you know, just the, that added pressure. The number it? one thing I'm always saying uh, with the matchups is all the matchups. And we had a great one because we did one where it was, uh, I coached a, a team and Owen Roddy coached a team and then we did team versus team, you know? Yeah. And okay, I'm, I'm competitive as a coach and so is Roddy. And you think, Let's say there was 20 fights. You want to win 20 of them. But actually, it finished off 17 wins, 17 wins. That's and class. that was perfect then because the show, the matchmaking was fair. Yeah. All the fights were just, you know. Now, there was actually one final contest and I, we narrowly won it. So we, we won it. But <laughs> it, it. That fight could have went either way. But for me, it actually proved the strength of the program and the syllabus works because I was training a group and all, Roddy was training and we were practically level win for yeah. win. And we want all the contests to be, you know, half is going to win, half is going to lose. That's unavoidable. But we don't want any fights where someone just gets run over. Like, you know, it's, they're always competitive. They're always back and forward moments. And you see at the end, there's the big embrace. And one hand goes up, but the other person's a winner as well, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, they stepped in there. Yeah. And it takes a sort of fucking balls to go in mm -hmm. there, you know what I mean? And it's good. the crowd's amazing <laughs> because, you know, you might be at a, let's say, a Bellator show. Or, and it's just fans going along that like MMA. And, you know, it can be a boisterous crowd, let's put it this way, but this tends to be, it's just all friends and family. Yeah. And there's a bit of crack, you'll have the blue team over there, the red team over there, and obviously your friends and family come along to cheer you on, but if you're on the blue team, they end up just cheering on all the blue yeah. team. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a real good family uh, feel to it. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable. Like Because we, we have our uh, finale is going to be on August 6th of this season. So if you start July 25th, then two weeks later, we're going to bring all the contestants along. Yeah. watch the August 6th one and you'll see what it's like at the end of the program and you get to see like, oh, look at them, you know, watch them competing and then, well, I guess it will be 18 weeks after that will be your time to walk. Sounds interesting. Yeah. So it's good watching the adrenaline reaction like you wetting your mouth there and swallowing like this. Yeah, I'm like, oh. Yeah, your fight or flight syndrome starting to kick on, cortisol mm. being released, fluids being taken away from, the, from your mouth, blood starting to rush to the legs so that you can run. Like it's it's I love watching the physical reactions that happens when people are getting into a, a fight or flight situation. Yeah. No. Mm. Oh, well, look, listen, I'm definitely down for it. Yeah. Good man. We'll do Good that. Man. We'll do Fair that. play. Well done. But um, right. So yeah, sign up for that and jump on board as well. Anyways, back to something you mentioned earlier on. You mentioned earlier on about uh, new people coming to your gym. Yeah. And is there anybody that has ever walked into your gym and you went, they're going to be a top class fighter? Like straight away, you know. Um. I, I, so 
there's guys that walk in that are very physically impressive. That just wow, this 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 person's just genetically gifted. And you might even test them on the first day and say, yeah, I have a little move around with that guy. And they're doing amazing. But the one thing I've gotten consistently wrong is, is that I can never predict who's going to be there in six months' time. And there's, there's guys that walk in like that, and after two weeks' training, they drift away. Why is that? They don't have the stick-to-itiveness that's required for any sport. Yeah. Whether you want to, or want to learn guitar or whatever you want to do. If you want to get good at what you guys do. How many people have started a podcast and after episode five went, well, I'm not making millions, so... <coughs> What's the stats on that? The stats is uh, 90% of the podcast fail after episode... 90 stop after episode nine, and the ones that make it after no, episode No, episode nine. three. And oh, then, yeah, sorry, yeah, right. 90% of the podcast don't get past episode three. Right. And then, of the 10%, 90% of them don't get past episode 10. Now, I could say the stats wouldn't be far different for people trying MMA. Really, yeah? Yeah, there would be a massive drop-off rate. So... Um, I can't answer that. Like, and I, I give an example of uh, uh, Pedro Carvalho that when he started with me, I didn't think he was that going to be that good. Like, great personality, so so, uh, just a lot of fun to be around the gym. But the skill level, I was just thinking, oh, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now he's, not, I think he's ranked number five. Yeah. in his weight class in Bellator, just kept showing up every single day. Would not quit. <laughs> And put himself in the toughest situations every day. And I'm, he's up at 5 a.m. Uh, he was a janitor in a hospital. And then coming in and working all day in the gym. Hours in the gym every day. Um, and I was thinking, oh, God, surely after a few months, this guy's just going to be like, what am I doing this for? Year, you know, after a few years, just showing up and then going on the, you know, the, 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 the national lower level scene. Just kept showing up and winning. Kept showing up and winning. And then... He got put in a fight in Bellator, London, that he was supposed to lose. It was against a guy that was a 10 and 1. And I think Pedro was 0 1 at the time. Like he was brought in to lose. I knew what it was. Pedro knew what it was. Yeah. This guy was going to have a spectacular win against Pedro and then be signed. I think it was maybe going to be signed full time with Bellator or maybe the UFC or something like that. Yeah. Batters Pedro for round one. Round two starts getting tired. And then round two, Pedro goes out and bashes him. And I was like, you motherfucker, just will not stop. So that attitude, I will take all day, every day over someone just being genetically gifted and coming in. With like explosive power and stuff like that. Yeah, because that just comes and goes. And you just don't know, well, how are they going to be after a month? And how are they, you know, the shoulders starting to get sore or do you have a tough few rounds that their egos a bit beat up and "Ah, I'll try somewhere else. So Mm. it's um, it's always impossible to say until you tell, you've got to give me a year. Yeah. And then after a year, I'll be telling you, yeah, watch out for this guy. Because he might not be there technically, but I can give that. That's easy. The technical side is easy. The ability to keep just showing up day in, day out for a year, that's rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, you were talking about uh, Pedro Carvalho's fight there. Would you be as nervous, like, would you get nervous for your fighters fighting? And then, like, after a fight like that, like, to get a win like that, like, would you be, like, buzzing, like, as if you were at the win in the fight as well? Like, um, So, I never... I never really get nervous if we've trained as, as if we train to the level that I hoped we would, because then I can live with the result. Right. Like if you go in and you've done all that you can, I mean, look, poor old Josie Aldo going in and getting knocked out in seconds by Connor. Like that, that's that's just one of those Vegas. You roll the dice, but it's you know, did you do the twelve weeks right? Did you skip any sessions? Was did you break up with your girlfriend like three four weeks before and then you skip the weeks training? We on the on the blast a couple of weekends, mm. you know, all of those questions. But if you've done all of that, 
I always sit in the corner, I get into good posture, I take a deep breath and I go, we did all we could. And then I'm fine. Then I'm just looking at it purely analytical and I'll just make decisions as the round goes on. And I've always said when it's over, Pedro winning that great fight or to use on the other end, Danny losing a close decision at the weekend, I don't celebrate too much. I don't commiserate too much. I let it go within a very short time. Certainly by the next morning, it's ancient history to me. I'm already thinking what's up next weekend. I've got three other guys on this weekend. Four weeks after that, I've got this person. I can't afford, and I wouldn't give the mental energy into continuing the celebration or commiseration <laughs> Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm not that. It's, it, it, it happened Saturday night. It's done Saturday night. Mm. That's something that we've talked about as well, how you handle loss, John. Because I won't say what fight it was, but after a loss, you gave an interview and you were just like, you brushed her off. You were like, yeah, he lost. And what? Whereas like the whole world was on fire. Like literally, I felt like this fighter's career was over. It's like... It was one of my guys in Cage Legacy, was it? I won't say who it was, but it was like, in the media, it's like, oh my God, he lost. He's finished. I can't believe he has another loss on his record where you were like, yeah, it's a loss. So it's like, to them, it's like losing. It's either like you win or you're finished, no matter what stage in the career yeah. you are. Whereas you, it's like, no, losing is an actual outcome here. Like, yes. there is a chance that this fighter could win, there's a chance he could draw, and there's a chance he could lose. And I'm prepared for all those outcomes. Yeah. How do you deal with it? Well, think about it, right? Like, so first of all, just talking about mixed martial arts and combat sports, on every Saturday, there's a big UFC event. Half win, half lose. Mm. That's every Saturday. And that's in boxing and, in, you know, other, obviously, MMA promotions, Bellator or whatnot. And if we think about that more as a way of approaching life, that if we're only going to do something that we're going to win, it's going to hold you back from trying anything new. And, you know, we're saying about people's podcasts falling away after um, just a handful of episodes. How many would have made it if they had your mental approach and your stick to and say, you know, and, you know, the first few, and there's no money in, and people say, oh, you're wasting your time, and oh, episode eight wasn't great, and I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it because I have a system that you, you weekly or... Weekly, yeah, weekly, yeah. weekly, I'm going to show up. I'm going to give it my best shot. Eh, it might be good. It might be a bad one. But you know what? I'm here next week. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do that for as long as it takes. And how are you going to stop that person? And if you want to talk about just the physical side of fighting, how are you going to stop a Pedro Cavallo that's just going to show up every day and doesn't care if it's a good training session, a bad training session, but he's going to be at the training session. You know, I try to pass this mentality on the people just to say about your personal physical fitness. Just have... Have a system in place that at every day at 6 o'clock, you're going to put on your gym gear. Now, you mightn't get off the couch. Put on your gym gear. Let's see what happens. Because I know from a mental point of view, you get a small dopamine hit. You get your gear on, you put your runners on, you're ready to go. Most of the time, your body's going to go, oh, fuck it, grab the bag and go to the pitch, go to the gym, go do whatever you do. Go for a walk around the block with your dogs, whatever it is. If you have that system in place, then the end result is inevitable. You're, 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 you're going to get fitter which will lead on to mental health uh, benefits. So for me, approaching fighting, I know that every card has half wins, half losses. I'm not going to get obsessed about them because that has been my approach to everything I've done in life that I know. Uh, failure is a possibility, but I'm always going to fail upwards towards success. I'm never going to fail down towards quitting. It's just not in me. Mm. It's, it actually makes so much sense because even the way you're comparing obviously to fighting and then we compared it to the podcast but like at the start it was like yeah right like episode 8 I'm not saying it was episode 8 but like episode 8 that was shy, fuck's sake bash and it would be disheartened and then it's like fuck it next week we make it better and he always because we'd get disheartened and he'd be like 
but it's on that's on you that's on us we yeah. need to make it better so next week we'll make it better and then so it was it's that. nice to know that like oh if it was a bad episode right why was it a bad episode well we didn't do our best so yeah. we, if we do our best next week it'll, next week will be a better episode and I like to have that control I like that's like we don't drink and one of the main reasons I don't drink is I don't like being in control of my actions not being in control of my actions sorry so you know like when you're out the weekend you'd see someone like making a show of ourselves and the next day you'd be like you done this and you done that and you're like oh I was locked I knocked over that table and I smashed that window yeah. blah 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 and like you still fucking did it yeah. would you not rather be in a position where you had control not to do that so having control of your own actions that I feel gives you control of your own destiny then yep. you have control of your own fate and that's why I always say to Terence like right it was a bad one but next week let's make sure that we make sure it's not a bad one again but you see the language you're using there like that's rare <laughs> this level of responsibility and accepting accountability and not looking to point the finger. Ah, well, the sound engineer didn't get that right and guess was as boring as fuck or whatever. Like, you're always looking at yourself. Like, well, what, what could I do better? And it's, I've been around people have been successful in many different sports and many in business and, 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 and whatever else in life. And it'd be something that I'm always trying to push on my, uh, let's say, you know, teenagers that I can start to influence and how to approach life and that's one of the first things you got to learn you must ex- accept responsibility because guess what's going to happen when you're when you start winning you'll definitely want to accept responsibility yeah. for that yeah so you also got to have that attitude on a loss accept responsibility for that be accountable for yourself so that like you're saying there if you you decide to go out drinking you know that that's a possible outcome so what happens don't be just shrugging your shoulders and go well that was the most surprising thing in the world no it's not you knew it was a possibility so be accountable for your actions and i will say in my sport, someone says to me, well, I want to, I want to be a blue belt in jiu-jitsu or I want to win an MMA fight. And I say, okay, that's fine. Here's what you've got to do for this 12-week period in order to achieve that. And then as the weeks are going by, I can pull them in and say, well, did you follow that system? Did you do those sessions I set out? Oh, I, I couldn't because my girlfriend asked me to do this. Okay, well, you're not going to get the results you set out to do because I, we set out a program. You have to accept responsibility for following that and you've got to be accountable for making those sessions. And if you don't, don't start pointing your finger. You went to that rocky speech. Don't start pointing finger, blaming <laughs> him, blaming her. You're not for where you are in the world right now. Point it at yourself. Look, look in the mirror and see what you could do better. And those guys, no matter what it is, if it's your game, my game, other sports, other businesses, and just generally in life, they tend to do a hell of a lot better mm-hmm. and get to where they want to be a lot quicker. Yeah, I think... I think... I think you see a bit much of that in, in obviously in your game in MMA. I hate after a fight when they blame coaches and blame this and jump ship and say, "Well, that fucking gym, they weren't putting the time into me." And I fucking it's hate very that. tempting. It's of course tempting at the start, yeah, to want to blame others, and you do see that a lot. Uh, mm. it's, it happens in all sports, I'm sure, just kind of gym hopping. Yeah, um, but it's that mindset, and I'll, I'll, I'll. It's a narcissistic thing, though, isn't it? Be like, I'm great. Because of me, and then when you're doing shit, well, I'm doing shit because someone else is making <laughs> yeah. me do shit. Yeah, it's not yeah. me who shit. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a narcissistic thing. It's a trait. Yeah, it's, a, it's it's something you want to try and catch yourself doing because, like I said, it's of course tempting to say, well, everything's going right in the world is because I'm so great, and everything's going wrong in the world is because of those people over there. So it is important that you try and catch yourself on that because it is it is a, a dead end road, and um, and it'll also make it much more rewarding when you do. Get your wins. When you do, when things, when something goes well in your life, where you are right now, incredibly successful, like it's much, you can, can be, have pride in that. You can uh, 
pat yourself on the back because, yeah, I did go through my ups and downs and it was me that kept pushing myself. When others told me to quit, I kept going. So now I can um, enjoy the rewards rather than if I was the whole time and I'm blaming them for everything that's going wrong. Well, then guess <clears> what? You're going to blame all them for when everything goes right. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you accept it? And even yeah. the ego thing afterwards, though, I think it's even better, like, where people like that when they get the wins, it's all damn. I think it's better to celebrate as a team, like, you know what I mean? We're yeah. a team, like, well, I always say after that first live show in Liberty Hall, after um, we went out the back then and there was me, Carvin, and, and our producers and our little team from Go Loud and stuff like that. We went out the back, we left all our phones yeah. in the other room. We had a moment where we, we all just sat down and said, we're at the dinner, yeah, like, because yeah, like, it was so, like, we were so afraid to go out on that stage. Well, I obviously... He, show, he doesn't show it as much. He's like, oh, we'll be grand, we'll be grand. But I know he's a bit nervous. But I'm like, oh, I can't go out yeah. there. But then after that big rush and all of us just, just chilling out as a team. I mean, like, we're at the game. Decompressing, yeah. I call yes. it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I found that so much better than if we had walked out the back of me and him. We're like, yeah, we've done it. Fuck out loud, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, we all were here as a team, as far down as the videographers, as sound engineers, producers. The people who rig out the stage, even, you know what I mean? Like, uh, we're in there. It's down as everything. We give them a shout in the day, and, like, when they're rigging up the stage, we have a chat with them as well. Like, yeah. without them, the stage doesn't get rigged out. But down to the small details, people who are selling merch, like, we get people in and they sell our merch at the door and stuff like that, even them to get down and thank all them because yeah. without any of them that show isn't the same show it doesn't matter if there's one person missing mm -hmm. yeah. you know so I think it's nice I think it's even better to celebrate wins as a team Absolutely. Than, than take it all yourself John I have a question for you yeah what you seem like a very calm coach in, in the cage yeah like do you ever see coaches and they go in and they're screaming and they're almost slapping them down? They have to get a few thumps and they're, <laughs> they're in their face and they're saying come on they always go viral though the next day on Twitter yeah, yeah. what's the pros and cons to your style of coaching and from that style of coaching. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, pros and cons, because there is, mm. there, there is pros and cons. I can't be the, say, the hairdryer. You know, yeah, Alex yeah. Ferguson. Right, because it's not my personality and I tell fighters, look, you've got to try me out and I've got to try you and after a couple of months, maybe, we figure out if we gel or not. Now, I think the, the cons of the screaming is, is that fighting is already a very emotional activity and you might be coming back and you you're kind of exhausted and your eyes swelling and the strategy isn't working, you're already racing at a million miles an hour. What is it going to do to you if I'm racing at a million miles an hour screaming at you? I don't see how that works. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't, and I'm not saying there isn't some very successful coaches out there who take that approach. But I, I, I will always decide, like with about a minute to go in the round, what it is I'm going to say. Um, as you go the shit sandwich route, it's a good thing, something to improve on and then finish on a good thing. So as I'm sending you back into the round, it'll be positive. Um, there is sometimes, and actually I'll be going back to the Carvalho fight, where I will go a more emotional um, response rather than just physical technique because maybe the physical technique for whatever reason just isn't working. Or I think the athlete, like Pedro was, I'm giving away secrets here, but Pedro was mm. quite easy to motivate because he's so family oriented. So in between rounds, I'll be more talking to him about his family than mm. I keep your left hand high. Like he already knows that, but this is not for you. This is for your family. You think about your child at home. This guy's trying to take that money out of his hand. Fucking what are you going to do about that? Yeah. What are you going to do about that, Pedro? Are you ready? Now get up and get after him. Yeah. And I, you know he's 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 good to go again. And then I'd be others I know that it would be a complete waste of time yeah. because they not that they don't care about the family. Maybe they're just young. They don't have a family. No no girlfriend. No nothing. 
how am I going to motivate them? Well, it's about that. You, know, you want to feel that lost feeling again. You know what it feels like. You know you can beat this guy. I know you can beat this guy. It's one shot. It's just that right hand. All you got to do is circle away from that and hit your takedown when he steps in. You've done it a million times in the gym. Okay? Right. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, because that's more an appeal to them. There you go. Rather that's than, what makes a decent coach then. You do have to know a little bit, like, yeah. plain, plain. About the Some fight, are very I religious. Think. Some are very religious. Like, yeah. This is out of your hands. This is in God's hands now. Mm. Stop getting in the way of him. God knows what you want to do. Let him guide you. Mm. Now, I know what that means. That means just he's over-mechanically trying to force things, whereas if he does, does what he does normally in the gym, but give it up to God. Give it up to your faith. That's a religious person. I'm, I, I'm an atheist, so it mm. doesn't affect me that way, but I, you kind of learn how to play with, not play with people, but how to get the best out how of them. How to motivate oh, them. How to get the best motivate out of them. That one alone, like this, this one's trying to take fucking bread off your table, you know what I mean? Yeah. Straight away, I'm like, fuck this, get me in there, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember uh, a few months ago? I'll do your corner in December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll figure yeah. out what we're Or you're going to lay someone up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Lick him like a stamp. <laughs> a few oh, months ago, uh, remember, with the whole law of attraction thing and... Remember, I went off on one on Instagram. You know, the whole like law of attraction and people like, oh, well. Are you a believer in it, John? Uh, yeah, not for any kind of spiritual sense. It's just that if you're every day thinking about an eventual goal, like affirmations, you know, writing it down 10 times, well, guess what? You're going to be in a mindset that you started. Like, I always use the example if you were suddenly to win a holiday to India, right? Maybe you never really thought about India in your life. I guarantee you, over the next 48 hours, something about India is going to pop up. Right, we'll put a challenge out there, right? So yeah. watch, does an ad come on about India? Does something come up in your phone? Does, and it's not that that didn't happen before. It's that now you're tuned yeah. to that. Like yeah. they did this experiment where they took in 100 people and said, divide yourselves into lucky and unlucky people. So let's say it's half and half. So you half, you assume you're lucky. This half, you assume you're unlucky. <coughs> Boom, of course, the same. And they get them out a newspaper article. And say, the right number of pictures in this. If you count all the pictures in this uh, and you get the right answer, you win a $1,000, let's say. Oh, great, yeah. So the lucky people over there, the unlucky people over there, and they give it back in. And all the unlucky people, they spend like half an hour, 40 minutes trying to count it all right. And some got it right, some got it wrong. The lucky people spotted that up in the top left-hand corner it said there's 48 pictures in this. It was just written there. But the others were just tuned into counting pictures. Lucky people just tend to go through life seeing little opportunities. Well, what's that over there? Let's have a look in there. Even today, I had a bit of time to burn them down and start strolling around looking at, you know, is that shop for them? What's he do over there and you, you know you just have a mindset where you're seeing opportunities so I think the the law of attraction I, I don't know a huge amount about it to be honest but this idea of sort of tuning your mind to seeing opportunities being a more positive mindset all of that of course that's going to lead to suddenly an opportunity coming across you like we live in an amazing time we're in a time where we're not you know the let's go back a thousand years where it was just about like can you have enough food today to eat? We, we we do quite well you're sitting here sipping cappuccinos and <laughs> you know we're not terribly worried about dying of dysentery in the next week and or losing losing the parents to starvation you know we, we've we just we just endless opportunity in front of us if we're being honest we're spoiled a lot of the time mm. Let, let's get real so if you've if you have your kind of basic needs taken care of and then you can walk out into the world in it with that mind frame Yes, you are going to have opportunities. You know, 
of course, I'm a tiny little thing, but you guys just firing a message to me, and then I just was in the mood on that day where I'm like, yeah, fuck, I will do it. Definitely, yeah. That's just you just got to keep keep trying things, keep jabbing, keep oh, jabbing, and chance. then something comes along, bang. Yeah, there's your big shot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think what Calvin was getting at when we spoke about it a couple of months ago was people who will sit on social media and not try to handle anything, but go, oh, the law of attraction. I manifested this. And I'll, oh, what the fuck are you talking well, about? Here's my experience with the law of attraction. So all the people that believe in it, that tell me about it, um, they all also work really hard. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's just the working really hard part that got them to where it so is. So that was the question I asked, <laughs> so, because I didn't want to be on Calvin's side and be like, no, the, he's right, the law of attraction is right. But the question that I put out on that episode was, if you didn't put in the 60 hours a week or the 40 hours a week or whatever you're doing and you just law of attracted or manifested <laughs> law of attracted right? <laughs> would, uh, would you have got the way you're at? Yeah. Like if you stopped walking and just manifested do you still think you'd be there? No. You fucking I'm have poor. to I mean it, it was one of the biggest selling books at once yeah. right? The only person who's successful from that book is Oprah. the author. <laughs> and Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> Since you got a percentage. Yeah. Well, of course look Anything that gets you into a mindset. I mean, Connor uh, read it and, and was raving about it at the time. And um, I know I know plenty of other people that did. And it inspired them to work hard. 100%. It inspired them to say, well, it is. If I do these things and I work hard, I'm going to get there. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Hey, look, for, for some, it's that. Yeah. Others, are, you define religion. Others, you know, get into a relationship that gets them in a certain mindset. Like I had a fighter that was getting a bit wayward. And then he met a girl who was a big crossfitter. And she kind of kicked him up the ass about upping his physical training. Yes, that led to Brilliant. success. Yeah. So whatever it is for you, I would say, well, try it. Give yeah. it a go. So, but let's not ignore the graft. Yeah. So that's how, it's what you were saying that motivates a fighter. So when I put this up on social media back then and I went on a, a rant about it, I had a coach reach out to me who was responsible for a certain stable of fighters and I won't name any names. And he says, I completely agree with everything you've just said, but I know a lot of fighters who wouldn't and I would not say that to them Whatever gets them on the mat, I will agree with. Yeah. So they could say anything like, I fucking, I think there's aliens on Mars telling me to run their mats. He'd be like, they fucking are telling you to go <laughs> Get out there. You know what I mean? So yeah. you, as you said, you need to find that little niche that motivates them. So yes. that's that's a man management kind of thing. You know yes. what I mean? Because everybody's different. You can't say the one thing to every single fighter that's going to get them up off the stool yeah. when they're having, an, they're getting two bad rounds in. Absolutely. How yeah. are you going to get them off the stool for the final round? Yeah. Do you know what? You can go and you can't still win this. Yeah. It's not going to work with everyone. Anything that motivates you is what you're sort of saying. But it's the people who sit back and just go, oh, I'm going to manifest it. Like, no, put the fucking work in and manifest. Yes. Or if that's what helps you, you know what I mean? Yes. But that's why we, we always say as well, like, if that fucking... If it gets you out of bed in the morning. Go and fucking do it. We're not saying it, but don't... I don't like people who throw it on us. It's the same even with religion. Like, I'm not the most religious person in the world, but someone comes up to me saying, oh, no, if you just fucking prayed a few times a day, I'm like, don't throw it on me. You have Jesus. Yeah, I don't really want them right now. You know yeah. that type of way. Yeah. Like so, whatever. I'm, I'm a big you. believer in understanding the reward center of your brain. Mm. Like it's, I, it's. I think it's actually sort of incredible that we have this uh, like dopamine, serotonin, oxy, oxytocin, and um, post-training uh, endorphins, and these are pretty much the only hormones and chemicals that will define what quality of life you have. And so few people have A, heard about them, and B, know how to manipulate them and how to use them to your advantage. And um, so if you do have an understanding of how those chemicals work and, 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 and how, they, how, how you can use them to get you to go to the gym, to get you to try something new, to, it, it becomes, it becomes uh, much easier to make certain things happen. Like 
let's say let's say endorphins, right? So endorphins, you do thirty minutes hard exercise, your body rewards you with endorphins. So I, it's a joke, but I sometimes say to the guys, don't think you're going to the gym for a workout, because think about that word work. Like yeah. who likes going to work? Thinking of ditch fray errors, that's work. You're going to the gym to get high. You're yeah. going to the gym for free drugs. So I, I'm not going down to the gym to do any work. I'm going down to get drugs. And uh, That's a fucking great way to look at it. Right? <laughs> it is. Because you know, the we know. Gyms, that... You can't get drugs in though. <laughs> <laughs> like I said now, tongue in cheek, a bit of a joke. But, but what about that as a reframe? What about rather than sitting on the couch at six o'clock, I've got, well, I've got to do a work out. Just that word alone, I think words are important. How we say things in our head is how we perceive things. Work out. Or am I, am, I, am I going out to get high? Or am I going out to play a sport? Am I going out to have fun? You know, you use those words. And then, you know, the big one of the biggest killers for people is the inability to start a project. You, you know, writer's block or um, procrastination. Like, I'll pull it off. But if you understand how dopamine works, you'd know that what I said earlier on about just putting on your tracksuit and watching the telly will start a small chemical process mm-hmm. within your brain. Mm-hmm. Your, your body gives you just a little hit of dopamine, which is very addictive. And then what do you do to get the next one? I walk down, but I'm not training. I'm just going to sit in the lobby and just watch a bit of the class because I'm just not in the over. You walk down, you get another little bit of dopamine. And then you're there and you're like, oh, fuck, I'll just do the warm-up. I'll just do it. And all of a sudden, you've done the, war- you've done the workout. Yeah. Rather than just thinking, I've got to do the whole thing. And then we talk about something like getting a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I've got to do 10 years. How am I going to do that? But if you have a daily system in place, a daily process, but for manipulating yourself, your dopamine, your dopamine, and... Uh, Serotonin is a different thing, but um, if you know how those work, you can almost treat yourself like a, a robot. Like I'm just on the outside. I say to people, don't think about, um, try, to t- try to treat yourself as if someone you love that you want to see the best for. Like if, you, if you, a friend came to you and was in a bad way and was saying, well, what can I do about my life? What, what would you start doing with them? Do that to yourself. Do that to yourself. Just treat yourself as someone that you love and that you want to see the best for. Mm. We all know it doesn't result in have a six-pack every night and two pizzas. Like, no one's going to advise that to someone that they really care about. You might do that very rarely. Mm. Enjoy yourself, whatever. But you're not, going to, you're not going to prescribe that to someone as a daily routine for a long life of happiness. It's going to involve some level of fitness exercise, uh, you know, a positive, mutually beneficial relationship, and finding something like this, or in my world, um, that is in, that's inspiring you, is enjoyable to you. Yeah. So if, if you know those are there, I'm not even broken. No one's sitting at home going, wow, is that, is that happiness? Everybody knows that. So why not treat yourself as someone that you care about and that you love and start that process? Someone said that if you are thinking about going for a run, for a run if you go past the front door 95% of the time, you will go for the run then? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I say as a door. trick, I've got two large dogs. I say to someone close to me, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get that person to get a dog. Because then you have to go for a walk. Every yeah, day. that's why I only got a dog, and I, I, I always say that only time it's yeah. excuse to grow the gap every day. You know, you have to grow. You start looking at it, and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake! You know? And then what happens by the time you come back from the walk? That was great. Yeah, yeah. a little endorphins gone. Yeah, and the dog goes to sleep, then stops annoying you. <laughs> the dog stops annoying you, and you stop annoying yourself. Mm, yeah. You're not staring at the walls and starting to feel like guilty that, jeez, oh, I'm not having that kind of coke, and I didn't even do that today. It's like, no, I did my hour walk, and yeah, I'm in, I'm in a bit of a you state of mind, and. On that walk, you know what? I had an idea about something that I was thinking about earlier on. These are the little things in life that just start nudging you on to a certain destination that people you want to be at. Yeah. It's unreal. You, you keep saying 10 years <coughs> for jiu-jitsu or for why 10 years? It's one of those 10,000 hours things uh, mm. um, that 
to to get to a level of expertise in pretty much anything. You know, this studies is is, is, is fairly you well need ten thousand hours. Yeah, you know, ten thousand hours. Sorry, I'm not in an expert in something. You, you need play an instrument. Hours. You play piano or a guitar. Like From the flats, John. No, Count probably not the hours. grand piano. But <laughs> if you did, you yeah. would have to just accept that you're going to have to put in ten thousand hours. Now you might do forty hours a week. You're Jimi Hendrix, and you just can't but play it. Or you might do two hours a week. Still going to take you 10,000 hours. So if you know that that's the, pretty much the level of time to put in. Like if you were to think about how many hours you've put into this now. And I'm not talking about just your actual, you do obviously preparation to lead up. Mm-hmm. You start adding up all that and compare yourself at 100 hours and at 1,000 hours. Oof, the yeah. person's starting to get slick now. Because one of the most frustrating things a coach will tell you is that someone sees one of your fighters that has put in 5,000 hours. And they're going, oh, he's talented. You didn't see him at 10 hours. Yeah. I couldn't walk across the mat and, you know, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Didn't know his left hand, his right hand. So there is, there is something about approaching a new skill that's daunting. But I do think you have to say to yourself, all right, right, I'm going to get good at this. And if, if it's for you and July 2050 show up, great. And you just know, right, I'm putting 100 hours into this. Mm. Step day one, I'll take you for day one. I'll ask you to throw a combination and do a sprawl and move around the mat and you are not going to have... Now, you might have done boxing or something, so you might. But in general, you're not going to have a freaking clue. And then I'll say to you on day 100, now show me. I'll be like, bop, bop, bop. You'll just have that rhythm going. Yeah. And now you're, you're on a path to, towards excellence. So whatever activity it is, whatever you want to do, singing, dancing, playing guitar, fighting, podcasting, understand you're going to have to put in somewhere in and around about that length of time. And if you approach it with that mindset, not after 10 hours, like, oh, I'm not good at it, I'm shit, quitting. Oh, I'm a cunt yeah. for that. That's, yeah. turn it all over. There's <laughs> your 90% that, that quit in episode three or whatever it was. Well, I am a cunt for it, John. I start something if I'm not, like if I don't have I any sort of feeling. Look, look where you were. So you, you're not, you, you just struggled to find something that got you going. This got you going, so you didn't. Yeah, yeah, true, yeah, I agree. Maybe grand piano wouldn't be for you. <laughs> I always use that as a joke with uh, people. Say, How do you motivate people? I say, I can't. But I think motivation is bullshit. And I used the joke saying, I'd never could have motivated Conor McGregor to learn the piano. And then I pictured this meme, like Mickey outfit and a Rocky speech, and he's at the piano. Like, Come on, John, one more round, one more round. And, you know, maybe I could do, get him to do it for five hours. But he wasn't putting 10,000 hours in it. Yeah. So motivation is a complete nonsense. You've got to find something that you have to do. I had to do this. You guys have to do this, whatever. And then Connor had to do boxing and mixed martial arts. He just loves it. Then you've already done that. Well, then a good coach can come in and guide that and obviously have the technical proficiency that goes along with it. But I've never in my life motivated something, somebody to do something they didn't want to do. I don't think anybody can. Mm. You've got to decide. That's a great way of looking at it. So you're, you're a black belt, jiu-jitsu, yeah? How long did it take you to get your black belt? I was a bit slower. So I, was, I think I was... From real, from starting. I was hoping you'd say 10 years. I was like, yeah, God, this I think I was 12. Perfect. I was 12. 12 years? Yeah. So it was around the same time, mix. It, not, not too bad. And then I have like one real standout, Gunnar Nelson, who was four years. What? He was four years, yeah. How? It, it, no, he, he did put in an extraordinary amount of time. You know, like his week wasn't like, oh, going to Tuesday and Thursday from six to seven. Yeah. He just trained all day, every day. And he was a very gifted athlete to begin with. So yes, some, some are going to get there sooner than others. Like if someone's in their 40s and very overweight and never played a sport, for sure they're going to be 10 years. 
And then you get a 22-year-old. He was an ex-ice hockey player and he did this and he did that. You know, if you give me an Olympic gymnast and they've that certain mindset and they're coming in with that certain shape and that ability to train 40 hours a week, yeah, probably three or four years, but I will talk about myself. I was the 12 You were the guy. average show shelf going in. Just seeing it over 20-odd years of doing it now, and obviously I've talked to a lot of jiu-jitsu coaches. Everybody seems to nod and agree and say, yeah, it is, you know, eight years, nine years, 10 years, 12 years, about average. And then I speak to people who coach other sports, and it's always like, yeah, it was actually about 10 years of, to get to a real, like, level of proficiency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Do you reckon it would have been, it was obviously harder for you to get a black belt? I like to say that to myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely like to make myself feel better saying that. But, but would it have been, no? Because like, there wouldn't have been, like, as many options for yeah. you back then. Like, it's even, like, even with that gym that you started up, yeah? How did you even get people to come to the gym to do this MMA thing? You're trying yeah. to bleed and explain to people. Yeah. Come I don't actually even know how I did because... There was no Facebook. There was you no know? phones. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, there was phones, bro. Yeah, but not the like, 19th century. Like. You weren't on Instagram. Like. No, no. Well, then, like, you got flyers. Flyers and stuff. I think there was. I'm more than I call it like yeah. the real fight club. Can you think of a dumber yeah. name? Did you call it? Yeah, yeah. Did you go with Dalton? So we did have lunatics back then. Sean Bull joined the real fight club. John, what were you thinking? Then it became straight black. Yeah. But... Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, but, you know, maybe, maybe a 20-year-old JK walking in with a 45-year-old JK guiding, mm. um, who knows, but I know I didn't have, and I, and I still don't have, because I see them really elite athletes, this, this, uh, this kind of mindset of, like, m- mine has always been, like, one of my fights I did, actually, my last fight, I was the first fight, uh, sorry, one of my guys was the first fight of the night, and I was the main event, and I got so much out of him winning. I, I won the main event, but it was just kind of like, you know, whatever. But him winning, I was like ecstatic, you know, because yeah. your, your coaching, your teachings, your your methodology is starting to pay off and work and you're getting the results. And uh, that was just a lot. Like even with engineering, like I was I was good at it. I got a, a good degree, but I wanted to go back and be a maths teacher. I just, I just love the idea of, I always thought maths was taught terribly because I, I love maths and I, I think it's a fun topic and I think it's easy to teach. But I just thought it was given in a way. Anyway, talking about that too long. But uh, so I, I'm a teacher. Mm. Yeah, teacher. The Pythagoras fella. Yeah, <laughs> has it wrapped up. Come on, right, go on, go on, Terry. No, no come on. I've only two left. I've only two questions left. So go on. Well, come on, ask. You're not going to say something. <laughs> yeah, I'll ask him in a minute. <laughs> John, you're the head of the Irish Amateur MMA Association of Ireland. Yeah. Um. So my last two questions are: Do you think that it ever get into the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, uh, where the International Federation is really pushing hard for the 28 games in LA. And I think we have a really good chance of that. I actually read the other day, boxing is out. Very sad. You know, we have such a great history of boxing. It's terrible that the athletes are suffering over what the morons did running it. And, uh, what? You know, it's out? Yeah, it's yeah. not in it. Fuck off! It's not in yeah. Too many corruptions. Too many Since corruptions. when? I think it was announced just a few days ago. Yeah, but that's like a start in 2028, isn't it? Yeah, it had been like building towards that. Now they're they're still that's huge, though. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's still the 24 games in Paris, Paris right? Yeah, Paris. And it's in jeopardy. Yeah, but please God, it goes ahead. But the 28 one, it's that's LA. I think. Oh, that's where where's Paris. LA? No? Yeah. no, the next one's in Paris. 28 is, is, is LA. LA, yeah, and, and it's know, gone. It's gone for that. It's yeah. gone. It's not in it. But definitely, and like you said, it might be gone. Now you imagine someone is 12 or 14 now. That's it. That has yeah. really great ability. Yeah, gone. That, that, that goal is gone because of corrupt... Uh, that can definitely dishearten kids as well. I mean, you know what? My goal was the Olympics. Fuck that. 
Yeah, on a more positive note, yeah. and uh, that's what they for use. Well, well, <laughs> I, I would I'd hate for that to be the case, but in LA, obviously, that's uh, you know, uh, home of the UFC in, in some respect, and a large part of this game I'm learning as a as I'm growing older is that political influence is sometimes more important than just filling in forms. So, um, it would be fantastic if if uh, if, if IMF were able to get mixed martial arts as a as a, I think it's called a demonstration or an exhibition sport in the 28 games. and Because I'm thinking in my head, I've got a bunch of guys in their early teens that are dynamite, you know. Yeah. And them now is, what, what are we doing? 22? Mm-hmm. Six years time? Like that guy who's 14, 15 at 2021. 20, and what a chance to, to be in the Olympics, you know. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's really exciting. Because that's what I was going to say, because boxing is our most successful sport in the Olympics. And we criminally underfunded here. So it was like, what chance does MMA have? Because MMA is completely overlooked when it comes to funding. And I was yeah. like, what's your take on the government does not fund in combat sports? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, what are we now, six, seven years into a process of getting recognition. First of all, you know, I'm president of the, of the uh, Amateur Association. And it's, it's, it's very hard. It's very tough. It's a bunch of volunteers and all of us are busy with our own lives, running gyms and families and everything. And it's a completely voluntary uh, role, obviously. There's no money in it. And it can be very disheartening when months and years are drifting by and you're still banging on the door and you're filling out documents this deep and you're having to do all, uh, jump through all these hoops. Some might argue a hell of a lot more than what other associations go through. But anyway, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. We will accept responsibility. We'll be accountable and we'll, we'll just keep chipping away. And I can tell you here and now, it might take six more months, 12 more months, five more years. Oh, I'm not going away. And if the guys that who make those decisions thought closing the door the first few times was going to make that happen, they badly underestimated their opponent. And uh, we will get there. And I think it's going to happen a lot sooner than, than later. We've, we have made some good inroads. And one of the big ones was, was that our international association recently became a signature for WADA. We're being, you know, for absolute gold standard of, of drug testing, our athletes at um, our, our international events. And... Um, We've got a few other things to do, get recognition by, uh, it's called GASIF, Global Association of International Sports, something like that. And we're, we're, we're right on the door of that being done. And that will then somewhat, I guess I can use the word for, Sport Ireland to, to give us the nod because we've, we've, we've ticked all those boxes and we've certainly done it on a national level. We've done it to an incredible standard. We have all our coaching courses in place, our trial protections, our guard vetting. Um, you know, we really run ourselves and we have run ourselves for the last four or five years to a, a standard that you could match as against any national association. We're, we're doing a great, they're doing a great job. I, I've had very little involvement. I do what I can, but the, the, the likes of Andy Ryan and Limo Griffin and Marlene and Tim Murphy, these, Danny Core up north, these are the guys, the workhorses that have been doing incredible work in the background. And we will get there. My son is, is two. And if he drifts down this road, I, I would I want him to get the same accolades that a, that a Kelly Harrington or a, you know Katie Taylor gets that they can do a, a nationally recognised sport. And you know if the twenty eight games goes ahead and, and and it's looking it was accepted and it's going well to uh, to walk my son out to an Olympics games and that be yeah, unbelievable thing to do. Yeah, right? yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, that was a great question, by the way, as well. You know, look, I have two questions left. What I want to finish off. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you really quick about Lee Hammond, yeah. Yes. Because, like Lee, I think Lee actually listens to the podcast. And I think he does as well. 
But anybody I know that's trained with him or that knows anything about him says that he is... He's like the prodigy. Like, he's like the star now. Yeah. Like, he's going to make it. What? Like, of course you're going to have to say that because you're a fighter. <laughs> and he I listens. Mean, how good is he, though? He's extraordinary. Yeah. He's extraordinary. Um, and he did it the right way. He kind of just did it all in the background and he sort of fell off social media for years. I sometimes don't even... When he leaves the gym, he just goes into the ether. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Then, like, he'll, he'll appear with a new f- number on my phone or he'll suddenly get a buzz. I'm on a fight and, you know, he turned pro only a couple of months ago and is 4-0 or 5-0. Yeah. Um, rapidly. And, um, but his mindset for, for, for the game is incredible. And his jiu-jitsu, his jiu-jitsu got to such a high level so fast. Now he's putting in those, he was racking up those thousands of hours. And I remember like way back in the day, he, he matted out his little uh, attic in his house. I'm sure his parents were going bananas because he just would drag people home, <laughs> drag them upstairs <laughs> to the attic and wrap them up, smash them up like <laughs> in his attic. So he was obsessively ra- uh, racking up those hours. And then when we start getting, when Connor kind of was, was back with Crumlin Boxing Gym, not that he was ever away, but when he started getting really heavily involved with them, Lee kind of fell in with that crowd and I almost kind of lost him for a year or two where he just dedicated himself to boxing. Then he's back now adding that into mixed martial arts and his skill level is um is is, is extraordinary. Like um there's a particular technique called a barambola, which is a very kind of fancy jujitsu move. It's never been done in mixed martial arts. He's done it four times. And in his last fight, he was his first time pulling it off as a professional fighter. And uh, you know, his stand-up, he's very close friends with the the warrior, Keen Cowley. And yeah. Keen has been teaching him all his Thai boxing skills. He's learning his boxing skills from the great Phil Sutcliffe and Crumlin. Mm. Um, obviously, mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu technique at my place. And, um, you know, all, all those mindsets we talked about earlier on, he's certainly not pointing fingers at his, at his drawbacks and his losses and his failures. He he's just keeps failing upwards. And there's no doubt in my mind that uh, he seems to be very much set on the UFC, so UFC, and I... I can't see how he won't be a UFC world champion. Unbelievable. That's class. Because it's anybody who I speak to that knows anything about mm. MMA or knows him personally, I'll say Lee Hammond is the one. Yeah. Like, he's going to make it. What's the biggest achievement of your career so far? Um, like, it won't be any one story. There, I guess one guy does stick out my mind, and I'll, I'll, I'll gloss over the details in case he's watching. Uh, not that it's been a long time, but it's the stories I'm getting of someone that was maybe suffering a bit with substance abuse and had a, carried some darkness from their youth and then pushed themselves to walk over the threshold of my gym. I'm always blown away by the courage of someone to do that. It's a very intimidating atmosphere. To do that and get involved in the sport and then over the course of a year, let go of those bad memories or you know, it certainly worked through them drop certain vices that were not kind to them start treating themselves better and get to a level where they were competitive in jujitsu and uh it's those guys pulling me aside with sometimes a bit of a tear in their eye and that they've met someone new now and they've let go of that they're there to me by far the most rewarding um achievements and you know the guys with the bright lights on a saturday night winning 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 titles is is fantastic it's enjoyable
But those guys were already on that path. And yes, they walked in my door and we could nudge them in certain ways. But they are already extraordinarily tough mentally and physically and have the resilience and have the athleticism. It's it's taken those people that, you know, didn't uh, didn't have much opportunities or made some bad choices in the youth, whatever it might be. A lot of trauma. And then were able to make a decision to change their life. Not want to, not wish for it, make a decision. And make that first step of, of stepping over the threshold. And uh, I'm very, very proud to say that that's a story that I have a hundred of. Well, Should man. go into TED Talks, John. <laughs> I I I I like I, I don't mind doing this. This is about as far as I'll go in, in terms of stress, but it is stressful for me doing things like this. Um, but the idea of standing for people and just giving a talk would be, uh, you know, what you guys did in Vicar Street is, is, to me is incredible. Like, yeah, that'd be terrifying. I only said to Calvin the other day, I seen a, a fact joke on, on the internet, of course, but I seen a fact joke that's like the two biggest fears in the world, the biggest fear in the world. It's crazy as well because they're like our biggest fears. Yeah. So the biggest fear in the world, like the main most Wanna common fear. Yes, John. Two yeah. biggest fear in the world. What the uh um maybe public speaking would be would be tough. It's number two. It's the second biggest fear in the world by people. Um well maybe this is too broad, but like being embarrassed or failing or Well that is there. I think because when I seen this I was I looked her up then, but then there's like different yokes, but a lot of them are different variations are, of it. Yeah, like, but yeah. then there's ones that are there, there was about three of them different links that I clicked on that and they that was number one on some of them but on a couple of them it was the two back to back so the biggest friend of what people at death which is very like that's so common yeah. I know you we talked about this only a couple of weeks ago and it was like that's my biggest fear yeah like, I know so many people who are afraid of death yeah mm. neither do I, I don't really give a bollocks it's an eternal nap night, I can't wait well Jesus Christ that's dark that's very, <laughs> yeah. pull it back a little bit like. carry the way but uh, public, public speaking is the second biggest fear yeah? mm. like, so like I was saying there like this obviously to you like in your world you're just so comfortable teaching people and showing them moves and this that and the other but and we're so comfortable doing this but for you to come in here it's like out of the comfort zone yeah. so TED Talks is like no that'd be a step too far yeah, but yeah. this is good. Like I, I talk about it with my fight team about subjecting yourself to discomfort in order to grow. So what would I be if I didn't do it myself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. every now and Damien Duff said the same thing when he took the shell shop. So he was the, I think it was under 17s or 16s coach at Rovers. Yeah, and he was like saying all this to them, like you have to take risks, you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone, you have to be brave. And then he's like, no, I'm not taking the shells for the same job. And then he said he went home and he thought about. It. He's like, oh, I'm trying to teach all these kids these morals and these yeah. ethics in life. Yeah. When I'm completely turning me back on them, yeah. he's like, "No, I'm actually going to take that." Then I was like, "You have to practice what you preach." Well, they say kids will do a lot more what their parents do rather than what they say. Yeah. yeah. So I think of that. Yeah, listen, it's a great way to end the podcast. Um, it was actually a pleasure, John. Honestly, yeah. John, inspiration. Like honestly, it was unbelievable to sit down here. I was only saying to Cabin before we come on. I was like, I can't believe we're actually going to sit down and talk with fucking John Cabin. You know what I mean? It's unbelievable. Thanks very much for yeah. coming in. It was honestly a pleasure. And it's. It is something that we always talk about. Like it's yeah, it's all well and good watching your fighters do that thing, but like I'm more drawn to how you get them to do that thing, how you motivate these people and the stuff you say. Like these little one liners you come out with that just stick with people, you know what I mean? That's why I think TED Talks could be an avenue for you. It could be a few quid there, but yeah. Don't just in case the coach had never walked out, like, you know what I mean? Oh you don't get to do the Olympics in twenty twenty eight, like yeah. you know what I mean. Well, I, have to, I have to give a quick shout out to Aaron and Barbary. You probably thought I was gonna forget. But I didn't. Thanks for looking after the beard. Have you anything else to plug? Anything else that you Ant want to plug? Coming up, you want to plug Bellator 
in the square on Saturday. Yeah, yeah oh yeah. So uh, that's on uh, Saturday from one to three, and yeah. uh, first five hundred people get a belt or t-shirt. And we're going to be giving out some tickets, some prizes. This is for the, that's uh, for the September, show in September. Yeah, September twenty third show. Mm. Um, so if you're yeah, if you're around the square, drop in, say hello. And other than that, we're all looking forward to his MMA debut towards the end of the year. But keep watching. Good up, Bell. Take us out, Kino. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. The Hip Knocker. Go down, go down, go down.